Hello and thank you for listening to episode 39 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and this is a new series of shows called Spotlight On, the genesis of which began on the 17th of November last year when Chris, Tina and Ramrod put a huge review up on the website all about the Scarlet Box from Arrow Films. Uh, this box set covers Hellraiser 1, 2 and 3 as well as so many extras you're going to be there for weeks watching them all. Uh, they started a discussion of how they'd like to talk about the movies because, you know, we all love the Hellraiser movies. Who doesn't? And uh, So you'll hear Chris say it was originally planned as a two-part show. Uh, the recording went so well, they got so much to say, that it's now going to be a three-part show where uh, each one covers each of the first three Hellraiser movies. So please sit back, relax and get comfortable as Chris, Tina and Ramrod take you into the world of Hellraiser. Right then, um, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, this special show, this special Hellraiser show, um, it's going to be two parts. I'm not quite sure what Dave has said in the introduction, so if I'm repeating what he's just said, then I apologise. But I'm Chris, and a first for us, instead of Dave joining us, because he's too busy doing other things, you can make your own mind up what he's doing right now. Um, I'm joined with by Tina and Rod. Hello. 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 How are you? How are you? Both of you. Sorry. One of you. Well, I I was putting my Frank voice on because I'm going to do it as if I'm Frank. Oh, come to daddy. Come to daddy. Can I be Julia then? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think you'd be a good Julia, actually. I'd love, oh, my God. Oh, God, can you imagine? (laughs) If only. Tina down a wine bar pulling fucking lonely businessmen. Like Benny Hill's version of Hellraiser. You cheeky fuck. Already you've started to insult me. Listen, I'm Frank, brother Frank. I think you'd be Frank as well, to be fair. I would. Oh, I'd love to be Frank. I'd be poor old fucking Larry, wouldn't I? Sad old twat, sat in the corner of the room waiting to be murdered by his brother and his wife. Yeah, boxing along with the television. The late night boxing. (laughs) And then looking at looking at Tina and then being ashamed that you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd rather be the removal man that sort of comes on to Kirsty. You know, yeah. he's only in it for like two seconds, but that's better than. I being have a Larry. story about that. Ooh. About the removal man. Okay. Um, Is it just any removal man, or no? But the remo- <laughs> about the removal man, it's it's Oliver Parker, who's yes. a director. Uh, he's just directed the Dad's Army film. Mm, and, you're uh, joking me. That's him. Yeah, yeah, that's him. And uh, when Dave and I were in, uh, we did his 50th birthday in New York and Philadelphia. It was Dave wanted to go wherever because it was his birthday. It was his 
trip so he got to do whatever he wanted except one day where I said I really want to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art and I walked in through the door and who should be standing in front of me but Nathaniel Parker who's a very well-known very upper-class British actor who is the brother of Oliver Parker and I go up to him and go hello Nathaniel what are you doing here and he says oh we've come I've come here with my wife she's an actress as well I'm a family and I was talking to him and I looked at Dave and I said Dave Dave it's Nathaniel Parker his brother's the removal man in <laughs> and he was really lovely and he said yes I know Clive really really well mm. oh very good and I snogged him <laughs> You know how I always have to snog every man that I meet? Oh, dear. Oh I did. Dear. Have a, I had a bit of a snog off Nathan. He was so gorgeous. Anyway. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little interesting vignette, though. Yeah, well, he did. And you, you are right in saying he's, he's just directed the uh, latest Dad's Army movie. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things, he, he's directed, um, funnily enough, Johnny English Reborn prior to that. Jesus wept. Um, <laughs> Centrinians, the the two yeah. movies, the two yeah. Centrinians movies, uh, Dorian Gray, um, mm. but yeah, so uh, so he but, is like the Benny Hill of Hellraiser, then, as I am the female version of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we are here to talk about Hellraiser. It's going to be a two-parter um, because we each wrote a review, didn't we, a little while ago, yeah. of the uh, the special Scarlet Box set that Arrow Films put out, which mm-hmm. I think is all but gone now. It's it sold out pretty much immediately, didn't it, from what it's you so, said? It sold out before it was released. Yeah. And I haven't looked for the last few weeks, but I know before Christmas it was 150 quid. Wow. Hmm. That's pretty amazing. So, yeah. I mean, you know, these films are, are pretty, they're iconic, aren't they, really? Yeah. And, and we're going to dig deep into them and sort of talk about our histories with them um, and, you know, what we think of the film. We're going to go through the film, talk about, you know, various key scenes and, and everything else. Um, but, yeah, just tell people, people not that, well, people can't get it unless they buy, pay extortionate prices. But, you know, just sort of like, I guess, tell people what the Scarlet Box is, what in terms of content, what you get, you know, is it the definitive edition kind of thing of Hellraiser? I, I, for me, the definitive edition of Hellraiser would include all the films, even though that they're not, you know, the later ones, people hate them. I think that for it to be definitive, it would have to be the full set for me, except for maybe the last one, the Revelations one. Mm. Um, But it's got Hellraiser 1, 2 and 3 in it. It also has... Um, I don't know if you've heard of the documentary that came out. I think it was sort of back end of summer last year, 2015, uh, called Leviathan. And it was a Kickstarter project. Mm. And I thought I bought it because it was Hellraiser. And I thought it's just going to be like, you know, two hour documentary. It's over three discs. And it is, I have never seen such a thorough documentary about the making of a film. I mean, it's... Perhaps only the one on the Blade Runner disc matches it, but it's absolutely incredible and all kudos to the guys that made Leviathan. So on the, in the Scarlet Box is a cut version of Levi- Leviathan, which I sort of, you know, it's really nice if you haven't already got it. And I felt a bit like, oh, I've already got that. <laughs> but having said that, you know, I go out and buy Leviathan. On it as a standalone if you're a big Hellraiser fan because it's amazing. Mm. Uh, the other thing that comes in the box is uh, a book, 
about the three films uh, and the box itself, which when you open it up, uh, do you remember one of the releases is actually the puzzle box, the Lament? Anchor Bay, wasn't it? Yeah, the Anchor Bay one. Well, this box, when you open it, it's got Pinhead on the front and inside it's it's, uh, the bit where Frank writes, I'm in hell, help me. That, that's, oh, wow. that's on it. I think I actually like the puzzle box for looks better than this one. But this is comprehensive and the films themselves, as you know, look amazing. They've yeah. still got a bit of grain. Good old Arrow. Nobody can beat Arrow, can they? No. So we uh, we each took a film and we reviewed them. Uh, you had Hellraiser and Ramrod, you took um, Hellraiser 2. Uh, Hellbound. Hellbound. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that one. It's been a while since I've watched that. And uh, I took Hellraiser 3. Well, I say took. These were sort of like how they were dished out. Um, So, yeah, and it was great to sort of go back and, you know, as always with the website, write some reviews, um, you know, which which are fantastic. So, but you mentioned that it's about books and it is based on the Hellbound Hearts. Now, I confess that I haven't read that book. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Clive Barker. Um, the only book I've read of his, uh, is it Cabal, which is mm. ba- ba- uh, is that Nightbreed? Is that based on Nightbreed? That's the one. Yeah, and um, the, the thing that struck me about reading that, it's been a few years since I've read it, I was always into like Dean Koontz and stuff like that, those books, um, were sort of quite how sexual they were, you know, and I think that sort of translates into the film, which we'll get into. There's quite a lot of sexual content in there, which, you know, and uh, mixed with religious iconography. And um, But have you guys read the Hellbound Heart? Well, I, I know. I'll let Tina go first because I got this all off Tina. <laughs> so I, I want her to jump in there first for this. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I've read everything that Clive... Um, I've always been a really big Clive Barker fan. Uh, came across one of his books, well, it was the Books of Blood, in a bookshop and thought, oh, that sounds good. And that was it, totally hooked afterwards. Um, the Hellbound Heart came out as part of a novella before the film. Um, and it's very filmic. I think all Clive's works are very filmic. But I also think that, I don't know if, uh, I think you've read Weave World, haven't you, Ramrod? Yes, my dear. I think Ramrod should be on an A-level literature course. It is the most incredible book (laughs) and so well written. It's it's beautiful. Do you agree? Yeah, it's it's because he's, everybody associates him with horror. Yeah. But it's very small. In mm. what he writes, isn't it? It's horror because he started out with horror, but he's more into fantasy, isn't he? He's, mm. he's almost like a Neil Gaiman yeah. sort of writer, isn't he? Where he loves writing about magic. Oh, he pisses all over like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because and he certainly got... hasn't got Neil Gaiman's ego. <laughs> well, no, but Gaiman's the the name to associate with yeah. that sort of you know literature. But Clive Barker has gone on to so much, but mm. you know he's maligned as just the horror writer, like Stephen King, isn't he? But mm. No, no. I, I mean, he's done so much since there. Mm. Weave World's his like masterpiece. It's his yeah, uh, American Gods, I suppose, isn't mm. it? Well, the Hellbound Heart is essentially Hellraiser, but it's got um, it's got a couple of little differences that do that do make a difference. For, like her, Larry's name in it is Rory, right? Okay, and he is married to Julia, and his his daughter isn't. Kirsty, like oh. she is in the movie, it's uh, somebody he works with, and he 
and she really fancies him. But I think that the biggest difference between uh, the Hellbound Heart and Hellraiser is the very beginning of it, where Frank, and he's still Frank, and he's still Rory Stroke Larry's brother. And still a legend. (laughs) Still a legend, yeah. (laughs) Still a sweaty legend. Total deviant goes looking for the ultimate sexual experience again, because, you know, in the film and in the book, I think Frank is a nihilist. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is he thinks when he gets this box that it's go- it's going to open a gateway to sex and women and almost like being blown up for Allah, I suppose, and all the 72 virgins or mm. how many virgins are waiting for you is going to happen to him. And it doesn't. The Cenobites come. And he and in the book, it's he's really like, hang on a minute. I didn't fucking sign up for this. <laughs> so it's that bit. The beginning of it is different, mm. yeah. But it's uh, it's very short, and you can buy it standalone as well. So, if you're a Hellraiser fan, definitely read the Hellbound Heart. That's how I that's how I've got it because I've because you were into the books of blood, and when mm. I was I was like ten or eleven, and you mm. were out in America, yeah. and you met Clive Barker out there, didn't you? And then you kind yeah. of fed everything back to us. We had signed copies of the books of blood and all this, mm. and you know, then it was just like, oh, this horror book that you've got you know you didn't realize it was going on to this thing i i read hellbound heart obviously after i saw hellraiser because i was the visual fat nerd kid the like <laughs> laptop horror of fucking anything with horror monsters in it i watch it you know obviously the as we'll go on to talk about the themes of hellraiser you can't really digest when you're 10 no. you know but you just look <laughs> at the effects and um reading hellbound heart when i was a man um, it it is like two different. It's the, exactly the same, but slight differences. But it's fundamentally the same thing. Bark yeah. has obviously gone. Well, he he zipped straight over to Hollywood, like literally like a year after the book came out. He was making the movie of it, wasn't he? And he was lucky, and the people that he was around that you know got to facilitate this uh, movie dream he had. But it's odd that he changed it, isn't it? When you think that it was it was his baby. And... Yeah, and and then he went on to make it, but I but I think that he probably had to change certain aspects mm-hmm. of it to do with backing. And um, as far as in making films concerned, one thing you've got to remember about Clive Barker is he's from Liverpool, mm-hmm. and despite him being from Liverpool, he comes from a very middle class family, because he was mates with Doug Bradley in school, and. Um, What's the other director called? No, the guy who wrote number two. Oh, don't ask me shit like that. Uh, well, he was in school with them. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to look it up. He was in school with them. But he also knew uh, Oliver Parker uh, when he was young as well. And Oliver Oliver Parker and Nathaniel Parker's dad is Lord something or other, which you can mm-hmm. Google. So he mixed in in moneyed circles, really. That explains the fucking nutty sexuality and everything. Bloody well, aristocracy. You know, the other the other thing is, I think I think he I think he was an only child. I'm not definite on yeah, that. Yeah, I think you could be right. But I think um, you know, I think being a gay man probably has been a massive influence on him as well. Repression. No, absolutely. No. No. He's not. Would you say no, Clive Barker's I, no. repressed? Not now, but no, maybe, not now, like, not then. Either no, but through his writing, maybe he was letting a lot out through that. No, I don't think he's repressed. I think he's an experimenter. 
I was say, do you think with this, there's quite an, like an S&M theme as well, yeah, like yeah. with the costumes and everything else? Do you think that's sort of things that he was, was wanting to explore, you know? And I'm, I kind of see where you're coming from a little bit, Ramrod, in terms of the repression. I don't know. Yeah. Is that something that kind of those themes? I don't know. You, you've you met him, Tina. So tell us about, yeah. you know, what do you you're think? friends with him, Tina. Yeah, he's, he's your bezzy mate. <laughs> I wish he was. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was this a long time ago now. It's like uh, 25, 26 years ago. And he was doing a book signing, um, not because a book had come out, just because he was there. There was a massive, massive queue of people there. And uh, after two hours, normally, everybody said, right, we're going to close the bookstore now. And, you know, we're really sorry. And he said, no, I'm going to stay here to the last person. And he did. And he was really, he was really lovely. And... I mean, like I said, it's a long time ago, but he made such an impression on me because he he I was the only British person there. So he picked me out and sort of wanted to chat to me. And I stayed behind afterwards and spent, you know, like a couple of hours, like with his little entourage and uh, the job that I had. I worked for a record company and I had a big amazing leather jacket on that Tony Iommi gave me. Mm. Mm. Just name drop, you know, Karen. Yeah. I know, listen to it rolling and fucking off. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And Clive signed it for me. Wow. And uh, when I came back from America, I, I didn't bring it with me. It's my, oh, my biggest, Can you imagine, biggest Chris? regret. Fucking I've got, hell. I've got the pictures of me in it. <laughs> Yeah. His oh, signature is yeah. quite easy to fucking forge, though, because I've seen it <laughs> that many times. I could yeah, knock him didn't... out for you for nothing, mate. Yeah, I didn't, didn't. Going, uh... going back to the gay thing, though. When, um, because his his last book that came out is the Scarlet Gospels, and uh, that's about um, about Pinhead. He hates calling him Pinhead. He calls him the Hell Priest. Mm, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I don't know if he hates it. I mean, you know, I've never actually heard an interview with him saying, don't call him Pinhead, because everybody calls him Pinhead. But when the Scarlet Gospels came out, it's a story about um, Pinhead and Harry Damore, who's in um, David Lost Lords of Illusion. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm going to call Scott you Dick. B- Scott Bakula. Scott, that's oh, it. Yeah. Harry yeah, Damore. Well, he's the private detective in yeah. Lords of Illusion. That is such a gory book. I hope they make it into a film. Cause it, have you got it? Have you read it? I've, yeah, I've, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know anybody that's read it. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um, it's on my nook if you want to have a read. Oh, I know. Um, but when, he, when that book came out, he gave very few interviews because he's been very ill. And one interview that he gave, you can Google it. It's, you know, just Google like Clive Barker interview and it's there. And he talks about um, how as a young man, he was uh, a rent boy. He calls oh. himself a hustler. Mm. But basically, you know, and he he sort of goes, you know, I was selling my cock for money. And I'm not saying that I don't think he didn't do it, but coming from a nice middle class Liverpudlian family, I find it hard to believe that his dad wouldn't give him a ten. <laughs> hey, we've all fallen on fucking hard times. <laughs> Have you been selling your penis in a toilet, Ramrod? Not in a toilet, it's on fucking uh, Craigslist and eBay. <laughs> I'm a bit more forward with you know, forward thinking. It's, oh, okay. it's uh it's down the Polish beer shop, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Hey, I tell you, I get a fucking good coin down there, mate. They don't know what money is. What do you say? Give me Mochna. Give me Mochna. I give you penis. We go. Oh yeah. We go raise hell. Don't look at me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna throw him in all night. 
Gary. That's a good impression. That is. Yeah, I, I love like it. it. I'm obsessed with him. Frank is like my spirit animal when I've had a fucking good ruck of beer and there's a woman in front of me. <laughs> I like to open up a rat in front of her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you can take that however, <laughs> whichever oh. way you want to. It's a bit horrible. <laughs> oh. So, but uh, when you met him, sorry, what what hmm. year did you meet him, Tina? Uh, it, well, it's about 25 26 years ago so 1989 1990-ish. it was post hellraiser wasn't I was gonna it say, yeah. so it was after hellraiser oh, did yeah, you yeah. did you talk much about hellraiser or you know i have to be honest darling it was so long ago and i was so excited i can't remember what the fuck i said to him i know i i was with him for quite a long time and spoke to him at length and he was very charming and lovely but it's, you know, I'd had a few sherries. I was overexcited. I'd was, got... it a, was it such a phenomenon on its release? Because I remember the VHS release, obviously, because mm. that's how I've seen it. But obviously now it's it's an icon of horror, isn't it? Mm. The Cenobites yeah. and Pinhead. At the time when you met Clive Barker, mm. was it the phenomenon that it is? When I met him, I think that, that you can imagine the ki- who were who the queue of people consisted of. It was all sort of heavy metal types, mm. long haired, you Goths, know, yeah. gothy. No, no rock. You got to remember, it's California rock fans. Dudes. There was dudes. There was no like middle class <laughs> nice ladies like me, uh, who who you know. Who, hello, Clive. I'm a big fan of yours because that's what I do now. <laughs> that's obviously. not how you spoke. You know. I know you're not bloody middle class. <laughs> no. I grew up in that fucking house. <laughs> That's working um, class. Working class. Hello, Clive. I'm doing a pretend posh accent now. Um, no, it was just like dudes in the queue. And I, from what I remember, there was hardly any girls. It was all like young lads. And they, I think they were there for Hellraiser. And, and we're all a bit like, shit, he's written a book. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you know, it was that sort of thing. But I, I can remember at the time when Hellraiser came out in sort of 1986, 1987, I used to go to the cinema a lot, you know, like two or three times a week because I've always been a massive film fan. And I didn't see it in the cinema because I'm pretty sure it didn't come Mm. to Wrexham or Oswestry where we live. And the first time I saw Hellraiser was on video. Mm. And the re- the thing that attracted me to it was that iconic poster of Pinhead with box in his hand, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where he hasn't got his contacts in. And you can see Doug Bradley's blue eyes in it. Nice. Um, that was a stand up, and I just looked at it and went, "I'm having that." <laughs> and I did as I did. It was like six foot tall. It was ace. Uh, and that was the first time I saw it, and I I was just completely knocked out by it and no one because i used to mix with like-minded people who were sort of like rock chicky sort of you know horror fans nobody got it Mm. nobody it was like "Mm, i don't really like it you know like freddy krueger that's the thing i suppose Mm. if you look at the time that it came out you know the, the 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 tide of slasher movies had crashed on the rocks and there was nothing fresh like this and mm. this is so challenging i suppose to horror audiences mm. that you know cinema releases now a film like that would be made by you know eli roth and it would have a huge marketing campaign behind it 
but it would. God, I it, hope Eli Roth never gets his hands. Leave Eli Roth alone. Anyway, we're not talking about Fucking him. Eli. him. If he <laughs> ever made that, I'd have to ha- have him executed if he but, ever went near Hellraiser. But no, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Because now they would recognise, oh, it's based on a book. Let's push it, this, this and this. But I suppose in the late 80s, where, you know, what was horror movie? 1987 was a golden year for movies. You know, we had Predator, Lost Boys, Robocop and Hellraiser. Hmm. But I suppose back then, Mm. you know, Robocop was new. It's British as well, you've got to remember. Yeah, British film. Uh, That it it being a British horror film, people would instantly go, it's British? Oh, it'd be shit then. There you go. Hammer's gone, we can't make horror films. Personal services was probably, and educating Rita was all (laughs) we had, and (laughs) clockwise and stuff like that, you know. Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here is an awesome film. Oh, it is awesome. So is personal services. Yeah, but that but that's what I'm saying. Like so you know, special. British horror movies. It's like, well, yeah. oh, fucking, where's the fan base then? Yeah. You know, it's not as instant as something like yeah. Scream. You yeah. know, talking about reinventing horror, that thing totally flips it on its head. Hellraiser. Yeah. That's why we're talking about it, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and it, and it's 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 lasting. You know, this I watched it. Re, you know, the other week um, before I knew obviously we were going to be doing this, I watched it fucking loads of times. But it's. It still feels really fresh mm. and you know relevant. And although you know we'll talk about it, the themes a bit later on, but it's although it's got horrific things happening in it, you know, in terms of the violence and some gore. It's that's not the core sort for me. They're not that's not the core story. No. It's it's a it's like a family drama almost that happens to have mm. these other world demons, you know, and and things that are happening. And um, but you know. From doing a bit of research and everything, it was obviously very um, um, financially sort of um, lucrative on you know, its release. I think the budget was about a million dollars, or and um, it, it you know made its money back and then some. Uh, became really popular, and I think then again it, it found its home on VHS. And like you, Tina, mm. uh, there was that golden age, you know, like you said, Ramrod of sort of going to the video shop and looking at the boxes. You'd spend half an hour, an hour, whatever, just looking at all the boxes and picking stuff. And I think that's you know that. I miss those days, you know. It's it's all well and good, look, flicking through Netflix and picking a film. It's so convenient. Yeah, it's it's not an event anymore, like mm. those kinds of things. And it it was that that sort of the cover, you know, the yeah. picture of Pinhead that yeah. just drew you to it, and you mm. thought, what the hell is this? And you know, it was, I think when we talked about From Beyond on the entertainment show mm. uh, a month or so ago, it's like. I was kind of like trying to describe in my <laughs> own sort of head, and and to, you know, the best I could. This is, although I've said it's not a horror film, it, yes, okay, yeah, it, it is and it isn't, but it, this to me feels like it's uh, like a, a, an authentic horror film. Like mm. it's it's not just like you mentioned Freddy. I, I love the original Elm Street. And I, I like a lot of the sequels, you know, but and, and like, you know, Jason and Halloween and everything else, it's, they all seem to get watered down a little bit. This mm. and, and you could argue that happened with Hellraiser, you know, in the sequels, mm. but... This just feels like it's so real almost, you know, and it's, um, you know, despite everything that's going on. There's a few hokey moments in it, but we'll get to those. There's but more yeah. than a few. No. Yeah, <laughs> but, but generally speaking, it's um, it, it was seen, and I can't remember how old I I mean, I would have been 10, uh, 11 when this came out on 
the, the cinema or then later on VHS. So I'd be, and I'm trying to think when I watched this, and I must have been about 12 or 13. Now, similar to what you said earlier on, Ramrod about sort of like not totally understanding the themes and you'd sort of like, you'd, you'd pick the bits that you enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot of the sex in it because it looked like it was real sex. <laughs> Put a cushion over your lap when yeah, you yeah. on the bed on a wedding dress. I mean, I, lo- I watched a lot of films when I was around my nans because my nan was awesome and we watched Robocop and Predator and, you know, Blue Jean Cop and... We love your nan. Oh, I love it. And Bloodsport, God rest us all. You know, and we'd watch all these films. Now, I don't remember watching Hellraiser with her or my mom or my dad but i wouldn't have been old enough to have obviously rented it on my own they must have rented it for me but that's that you know um again i'm not sort of advocating that kids watch terrific stuff but you know that again just seems to be i'm sure they they do it now and even worse stuff than we used to watch but it's like again i kind of think i can't believe i used to watch stuff like this when i was a kid Isn't it crazy? If you had our video shop in church, mate, you could have rented that and picked up 100 fags and nobody would have blinked a fucking eye there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We... well, we I can lucky. remember walking into the living room one day from work because I'm, I'm sort of 15 years older than Ramrod and uh, walking in there and looking, just watching, seeing my brother and sister sitting on the floor and my dad watching the VHS of The Exorcist. Yeah. And I said to my dad, Dad, I really think that David and Jenny are a bit too young to watch Bollocks. this. Because I was, an education. was terrified. It's the one film that, I mean, I'm not scared of it anymore, but for years I wouldn't watch it. It was so scary. Um, and my dad just went, oh, shut up. They think it's mm. funny. And David yeah. was sitting there. Ramrod, sorry, was sitting there laughing. It's yeah. right. You can call me David. It's fine. It's my Thank name. You. It's ridiculous, though, because, I mean, like gr- growing up in that, like you say, that that magical almost time where, you know, it was, it was. Th- where movies became, you know, in your home and you could nip down the shop and get them. And you could go, mm, what's the cover of the, the Eliminators? It's a guy with a half track underneath him. I'll get that. It's great. And, you know, when Hellraiser's... It, it, it was one of those films I put on, like I say, you'd watch for the effects, you'd watch for the tone of it. And the the core, the unrepeatable genius of it is that there's never been anything like it. Mm. Glyve Barker said himself, and he, you know, he's almost washed his hands of Hellraiser as we know it and the public know it as the Cenobites and Pinhead's iconography. It's not about the Cenobites. They're incidental almost, aren't they? Yeah. It's about... Julia and Frank mm. getting it on again, mm. you know, and that is, you know, and it's so adult. And you know, when you're a kid and they say it's an adult film, like Fatal Attraction, I say is an adult film. You can't appreciate what's going on in Fatal Attraction if you're not of a certain age or way in thinking, you know, that's it's so weighty in that way. Why it's so much bigger than horror movies and like you say chris it's just such a pure horror film because there's nothing like it Mm. there's even in the sequels hellbound maybe because it's fucked up qualifies but they they could never be another hellraiser they won't be i think martyrs is the only film i've seen in the last 20 odd years that i could say is as an original pure horror movie you know yeah, but going back to what, what you mentioned about it being an adult film, mm. I think you can only... I mean, every time you... And I know that you feel the same way, David, when you watch mm. Razor, it has a slightly different meaning yeah. every time you watch it. Oh, God, it changes every time. To really, to really get it, in inverted commas, 
you've got to have life experience mm. and maybe been married and really hated him or her or had an affair or, you know, picked up a man in a bra. Bra? Bra? <laughs> bra? <laughs> picked up a man in a bra. Bar, I missed that bit. And killed him, you know, in the spare room, which I've only done twice. But, you know, I can totally identify you know, and seriously, actually, you know, I think that you could, you only do get Hellraiser with life experience and it becomes, it opens out to you then and it becomes a much bigger film where you don't go, oh, here they come, they're going to stab and kill the box and they're always shagging and yeah. it's, and you're right, it, it's, a lot to it's it. not, it's Shakespearean. Well, I, I mean, I watched it. I put it on last night to refresh my brain, and I've seen it no end of times with my girlfriend, who's mm. twenty-one. And I'm dead lucky, aren't I, guys? <laughs> well, I don't know but... if you are lucky, really. You know, no, cause... she's mental. But yeah. we, I put it on, and uh, she locked into it because mm. she's very savvy with movies. But again, she's not seen Hellraiser. You, and you think it came out in nineteen eighty-seven? She was born in nineteen ninety-four. You know, this has come and gone by then. Um, she didn't budge. She didn't have a lot to say all the way through it, which is amazing for Zoe. Um, she totally loved it because she's never seen anything like it before. Mm. And isn't that brilliant? How many mm. 30 years later, it's still as effective. Everything about it, yeah, you know, yeah. was there. there. And even now, like you said, having watched it sort of so many times, there are still scenes where I wince or I... Mm. You know, I kind of like know what's coming, but I'm like, God, no, no, you know. And um, the, the, my abiding memory, obviously, you spoke very, both of you very eloquently about sort of, you know, what y your feelings are towards it. Um, but uh, <laughs> my sort of memory, I'm going to make a bit of a confession here, as I tend to do <laughs> on podcasts, oh. is obviously at that time in my life, I must have been, like I said, 12, 13, maybe. Mm. And I started to obviously explore my body. Oh. Um, right. Uh, when I was yeah. about 11 or so, as you yeah. do, and um, discover the joys of, yeah. of pleasuring oneself. Hang, <laughs> on, that that. Hang on a minute. Does, was your what? first wank to Hellraiser? It wasn't. It was under, I think my first one was under the covers to the K's catlog, but that's another story. <laughs> with a torch. Oh, not the K's catlog story. With, with, uh, no, with a torch, you know, were it scared <laughs> that I think my mum was going to walk you, in. Jamie and his magic torch is going to have a whole new meaning now, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway, no, obviously because then, you know, you're like a rabbit, so, so to speak. You're kind of yeah. constantly wanking, aren't you? Um, and so but it was obviously the scene, which we'll talk in more detail later on, where uh, Julia's reminiscing about her first time meeting Frank and and then their first shag. And that and it, in itself was like a really sort of fucking powerful scene mm. but it's then sort of there's the bit where it's it um larry cuts his hand which is quite graphic and so you you know you're getting into the mood you're sort of like you know you're doing the old hand shandy and all this that and the other and then all of a sudden you see this fucking thing sprout up off the floor and, and, and uh, you know through the Just floorboards it, did it? and really it says oh well that no well i finished but you know that's oh, yeah, well. you, you actually came at the moment he rips his fucking hand open on that <laughs> That is but, hilarious. But that's, well, that's the, I guess, the sort of juxtaposition. To, I hate that fucking word, but it's the best word I can think of. Uh, you know, with her reminiscing of, and him ripping his hand open at the point that they probably hear, well, um, Frank ejaculates or, or mm -hmm. they both come together, so to speak. Anyway, um, but yes. 
they so, definitely so, come together and that's why she loves it you see yeah. so you just now the only thing that turns you on is if somebody like rips the hand open on a nail in front of you is it I, I, or yeah, that that sort of warped my sexual. So yeah. now I won't I won't think about having a wank unless there's some kind of uh, you know p- pain uh, you know involved. But still, so, you know, that's sort of wrapped the old barbed wire around my cock. But so, anyway, so Clive Barker has affected you. <laughs> yeah. I I introduced Clive Barker to my brother through my obsession yeah. of him, and you just used it as a masturbation tool. It was just a wanking tool. It was. <laughs> so I, and again, Clive would be so happy to hear that, wouldn't he? He would. He'd love it. Well, love I hope. That. I hope. He he is, I think you know. he'd love it. But I, <laughs> and and because um, we, you know, with the the old remotes, you'd rewind to that bit, sort of like trying to avoid the scene where he gets his hand ripped open. <laughs> but still, anyway. Um, oh God. But yes, so Hellraiser came out in 1987. Um, looking at IMDb, came out on September the 11th, 1987, um, and that was the theatrical release. And obviously, so mentioned come out on video. It was written and directed by Clive Barker, which we've talked about. Um, it stars Andrew Robinson. Uh, who I always remember as the Zodiac Killer. From Scorpio. Scorpio, fuck. Yeah, from um, <laughs> Dirty Harry. And also from uh, Cobra, um, the sort of his boss. Yeah, who he's, his, he's his captain, isn't doesn't he? doesn't like him very much and he ends up getting punched in the face at the end and all that, you know. So, um, But he's he's excellent in this, you know. And um, then Claire Higgins, the wonderful Claire Higgins, I have to say, oh, who plays Julia, her. his wife. Um, she's wonderful in this, and and I've, I mean the Arrow um, doc, uh, DVDs, Blu-rays. I've got some amazing documentaries on there. You know, with some, like the cast and crew reminiscing about making the film. And she said that she didn't actually want to make the film. She read the script, didn't like it, but it was actually sort of like having a conversation with Clive Barker. He pursued her because she was quite a um, theatrical actor, and um, he really wanted her for the role. And that's from, you know, say, that's what I understand. And she's perfect, you know, she's just in the way she acts, but also, you know, her facial expressions. And there's a, there's a scene later on where she's just looking in the mirror, which is just one of the best scenes in the film, you know. But mm. um, Ashley Lawrence, who plays um, Larry's daughter and Julia's stepdaughter, uh, Kirsty Cotton. And I think this was this her first film or first mm. feature film? First film. Um, and then Sean Chapman, who plays Frank, and th- that's obviously that's the sort of like the core of if you like, if you like of the, the, the cast. If you, I, I mean, there are others. I'm sure we'll mention them. But is there anyone else that you want to mention um, in the cast and crew? I'd like to specifically mention Oliver Smith, yes. only because he's maligned as being not he's not Frank because obviously Sean Chapman is Frank, the actor. Yeah, um, but Oliver Smith plays Frank when he's got no skin on, mm. and that is the 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 performance for me. Obviously, Julia is amazing, but mm. I love Frank's performance. Yeah. So it's Oliver Smith. Um, I mean, Frank the monster he's mm. billed as on yes. IMDb, and uh, he's not a monster. He's just a dirty, sweaty bastard, isn't he? Really. <laughs> Um, yeah. But I mean Oliver Smith. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, he's a t- he's just a TV bit guy, really. Um, and he come back as skinless Frank in Hellbound, I do think. But uh, I mean, I'm not too savvy with what the guy's done. But I'm sure he just had a very short TV career on in British mm. TV. And what and a voice he's got as well. He's amazing in it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to shout out to to that gent there. What a, what an absolutely brilliant performance. Mm. I, I was so I've got to mention um, the music and the score by by Christopher Young oh, who, because it's just 
it's people say like Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars without John Williams, you know, and, and I, th- I kind of see, I, I think along the same lines about um, Hellraiser. The star the... of Hellraiser is that soundtrack. Yeah, if yeah. you put any other music on that film, it wouldn't have the impact it's got. I think the music of Hellraiser, because originally um, Clive had got some of his friends that he went to school with um, called Coil. I think they were called, mm. and they were like uh, an industrial metal band. Yeah, I think I've heard of them. I've heard yeah. of them, yeah. definitely. And he uh, he got them, and you can go on on um, YouTube and and listen to the muse, the original music, and they they also do a little bit about the music box, you know, dinky 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 sort of song as well. And you listen to it, and you think, oh, thank God that you know that they had Christopher Young to do it because his. It's just so majestic that music. It swells and and it's just brings the whole quality of the film so far up, I think, that just any old soundtrack would have lessened the impact of the film. It yeah. is I think in all honesty, I think it's the best soundtrack in a horror film yeah. ever. Oh, and that, yeah. that includes John Carpenter as well. I think that his the the soundtrack to Hellraiser is absolutely the best, perfect soundtrack to a horror film. Yeah. Strong words. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I tend to agree. I mean, you know, I can't think of many others like you mentioned, John Carpenter. But this does, you know, for me, it's, it was one of the first notes I made when I started writing down notes about the film was just the fucking the the music, the score is just incredible. Mm. I mean, you know, it was used in lots of different things. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is um, I think it's Sex Sexto by White Zombie. There's a yeah. they sample, you know, the the music on that album, which I loved as well, sort of as a teenager and a bit older. But um, yeah, and so that's kind of the you know, for like the cast and crew. So I suppose what we'll do is, I, what I wanted to do is we'll go through the film and for people who listen to Tina and I on the same coin movie show, we we go through the film in quite a lot of detail and obviously talk about various scenes. I haven't gone into as much detail, but I have gone through the film obviously and, and picked out sort of, you know, <clears throat> how it all works and everything else. So we'll, we'll do that. Obviously, I'll ask your opinions and just jump in with anything that you want to talk about. So, but the, the sort of like you, you mentioned about the book and the way that in, this introduces Frank um and he sort of like he gets this box and he wants to explore more pleasures and you see he he's in a, uh, sort of like where would you say like he's in a country obviously it's very hot it looks and he, like it's like china or yeah, it's, it's an oriental or country thailand or, or yeah. somewhere like that you know it's, it's he's very sweaty and he's got a vest on um but and and this is like you see you you know like you said he's kind of messing with the box but then you see the glimpse of the hooks and then it's just a you know, full-on kind of centibites, and you're not quite sure what's going on. And there's chains, and there's blood and gore. But I think for me, one of the most striking scenes, you know, parts of this scene is where they're making the face up from all the bits that have been yeah. torn apart, which is, you know, pretty full-on. And again, talking about the sound, the sound effects are just incredible because it's very guttural and very scary. And there's lots of sort of like it sounds like animal sounds, you know, and you know, it's what do you guys think of the sort of opening of the film? The, 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 I mean, saying just touching on Chris Young's score as well and the way it opens up with that, because yeah. um, he did the fly as well, didn't he? And that's another good, powerful, bombastic soundtrack. That it's so elegant and then it yeah. thrusts you into this horrible violence that you see. But you don't see the violence 
It's just, it's there on the floor. Yeah. He's been ripped apart, literally ripped limb from limb, and they're just pissing around with his face on the floor. Well, I'll and go back even further fuck. than you. The one thing that, that always struck me about the very beginning of the film, when Frank, Sean Chapman, picks the box up, he's very sweaty. And if you ever look at his hand his when he picks up his dirty nails, his dirty yes, he's absolutely nails. filthy. Yeah. Black fingernails, which sort of make would make any woman go, ugh. This is a it, guy that's yeah. yeah, but this is a guy that's given up yeah. on every other thing in his life. Mm. He just wants to find this ultimate kick. Yeah. And he's travelled to the he's travelled the length and breadth of the world. The house he's in the attic. You know, mm. he's gone upstairs because it's the only fucking livable place in that house probably at this point. That he's he's vile. He's disgusting. Well, man. in the book, he he makes an altar. Mm-hmm. Of like, and I can I do remember one of the things he puts on the altar is is a big jug of his own pee. Piss, yeah, yeah, as an offering, <laughs> as an offering yeah, to the really celebrate. Really I remember yeah. that, yeah, yeah. This, but the... but one interesting thing as well, yeah. going to the to the bit because I love the beginning of it, and I know a lot of people think it's really corny when they flip Frank's face over, mm. and it's like you know his eyes are in there. Um, originally, Simon Bamford who plays one of the Cenobites. Butterball. Butterball, yeah. He filmed that and they cut it because he was putting the face together and it was actual awful. And the producer said, I think it's against the law in Britain to do that. We're going to have to do it again. So there are two versions of that as well with the awful and then the one that was actually in the film that, you know, that you can actually see it's his face, can't you really? Yeah. And there's also um, a lot of sort of, I mentioned it earlier on, religious and sexual, Mm. like pornographic almost iconography, you know, Um, there's that sort of, I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's like there's actually like a little kind of... um, ornament like with some like a man and a woman having oh, yeah, sex they're, re- they're real they're they're cast they're made out of ivory and um in like the 17th century aristocrats would collect them because there was no such thing as like porn uh like books or, p- or pictures so p- they would employ artists or people to carve pornographic things to have a wank over and like the marquis de sade was really famous for, for his collection of uh, mm erotic figurines so that probably was real yeah yeah that, yeah i mean that in, in itself was an indication to me thinking well this isn't your typical horror film because mm. although it's it's like an ornament you're still seeing like penetration mm. you know and yeah. you don't see that and, it, and even i know that they've relaxed it a little bit with you know and it's in some films now but back then it was a big no-no wasn't oh, it unless yeah. it was porn yeah. and yeah. that to me thought Fucking hell! This isn't something on, I've ever seen before, really, on on a screen. Mm. Um, I mean, I know you're sort of into religion and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I would imagine that this would it have kind of, you know, meant something to you with with this, the mixture of the religious. Are you talking stuff. to me or, or David? <laughs> I'm talking to you, Tina. Sorry, I'm so not religious. <laughs> I drink yeah. too much for God. I uh, yeah. Well, instantly. I mean, the first thing that that you see is is like the jesus don't you the big icon of jesus and uh, i think that that religion sex and death are all intertwined with each other so i think you find a lot of people that are into sort of horror films or even people that are into like sadomasochism 
have sort of religious iconography in their houses. And I'm not into either. Although, even though I've got a lot of pictures of God up, honestly. Mm. So, yeah, it does. It does. It's, I suppose, yeah, it's, uh, it, it all fits together. It's all this, you know, all clicks together, you know, the, the sex, the religion, the guilt, the quest for life and, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then you see it again, it sort of cuts again, it shifts in tone because you see sort of Julia and Larry and they're going to what used to be their old house, if I remember. It's right. Larry's mum, mum's house and she's that's, died. That's it. And yeah. I think you can already tell when they sort of go into the house that, they don't. There's some. They don't seem particularly happy. Like they're quite. Mm. There's a frostiness there between. Well, not necessarily sort of Larry, but with Julia, you, mm. you know. And uh, but he wants to try and make a go of things, you know. And but you can tell that she wants a bit more from relationship or you know life, whatever. Um, but then she starts going around the house and she sort of like starts looking through Frank's stuff. She discovers it and like you said. Ramrod, the kitchen's a fucking horrible place. It's like got maggots and everything else, and it's it's pretty gross. Um, but she finds these, a lot of his stuff, and you're talking about that altar. That's really thinking about it. That's it's almost like a bit of an altar where he's got mm. pictures of him with other women. Yeah. And she finds one and she takes it, doesn't she? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she she goes and uh, she starts mooching around, doesn't she? Because she's got the mm. she's got the scent of because she, because she's terrified that he's still there. Mm. Obviously, her guilt is is that of knowing what happens after. Her guilt is so obvious in it. And she's like, "Where is he?" And he goes, oh, "I don't know. He's in fucking prison or something." Knowing him, and she's like, "Oh, a bit relieved." When she finds his things, because he's like in a it's like a bed set he's made out of it, isn't it? Because he yeah. doesn't give a fuck anymore. God knows, I'd love to see a film about Frank before he found the box. <laughs> <laughs> that really would be a horror to film, To see what the it? fuck he was doing. She finds those uh, sex pictures, and they're almost like, um, you know, like a horrible, like he was a murderer, and these are his victims or something. Yeah, like yeah. snuff film pictures, yeah, aren't they? You know, it's got that horrible feel, but she takes that one picture, because as soon as she sees the photo of him, it starts her thinking again, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I mean, fucking women, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fucking fling. It was a one-night stand, wasn't it? What's the matter with her before they got married? But, yeah, yeah. she does. She The, the house and it, the way Clive, Clive Barker's probably, because like, he's only directed two films, isn't he, this guy? Yeah. Um, like, uh, the lighting he, and, and the, the way he chooses his shots, even at the early stage of the movie, it's fucking incredible yeah. for a guy that's never directed a film before. And you look at first-time directors now, they're fucking, they put out some garbage or over-arty things, but it's so slick. It looks slick, and he picks his shots really well. It's the pacing of it as well. I mean, yeah. th- there's a lot that goes on in the first 20 minutes, but it's the, the camera sort of moves really almost very slowly mm. around the house, observing things, you know. Um, and it's like you said, a lot of the day, these days, you know, there's some things that be so fast and frenetic oh, and, you know, it. jump cuts and all that shit. Um, but, yeah, so they start unpacking all their stuff and they're moving in and we, we get to see Kirsty. She's introduced. She comes and visits the house. Oh, Kirsty. What do you think of Kirsty? Because, I mean, they, they, they were a bit sort of disparaging about her on the documentary. They were sort of saying, oh, well, you know, she did her best, but it was a first film. And, you know, and, and whereas, like, uh, Andrew Robinson and Claire Higgins, they knocked it out of the park. They were amazing, oh, you know, yeah. which they are. But, yeah. I mean, what do you think of Kirsty? Do you think she... 
I don't know. Do you think she sort of weakens the film a little bit, or do you think she gives it something a bit of heart? Maybe I don't know. What, where's your, where do you stand on it, Ramrod? Go on. Um, it's it's weird because watching it again last night, I Claire Higgins like you you can't you could do an hour show about her performance in it alone because like yeah. it's incredible, but she's seasoned and Ashley Lawrence isn't, and she does. It's very odd, isn't it? Because she's so americanizes it mm. and uh, and maybe obviously that was i don't know who cast her i can't see clive barker clive barker cast everyone in that film i, I just don't understand he must have been drunk that day <laughs> he must have been. because i'm he must sure have been high as a kite you know she's done well she's a beautiful woman now when you look at her now she's stunning and she's made a good career off the back of playing this part because she's obviously not got the chops to do much else. And I maybe will lean towards she wasn't the best choice for this role. Um, she's a bit too... I think she watched Aliens the week before she started filming <laughs> it because she gets a little bit too excited. Yeah. I like the way she's a little bit doesn't like Julia because yeah. Julia doesn't really take to her and they've got that little bit of friction. She's a daddy's girl. She's American. I, I like them two together, but maybe she, I don't know. I didn't say, I wouldn't say it cheapens it, but she, she maybe the, 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 the small weak link in the, in the acting department. Mm. That said though, you know, fuck it. You know, she's, she's fit. She's good at screaming. I think um, I haven't seen Hellbone for a long time, so I'm looking forward to going back to watching that because she's more of a focal point of the film. She um, is literally Ripley in it. She's Ripley okay. in it, yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. I think uh, what she's a... shit in it. You just think well, she's shit, okay. I do. I think that the dynamic between her and Julia is just about passable, but then it's Claire Higgins again, isn't it? You know, seasoned Shakespearean actress. Yeah, it's all the there, The slight, you know, just a little look to off camera, you know, and then Ashley Lawrence, you know, whether or not she wasn't very experienced. I mean, look at Jennifer Lawrence. Her first film was Winter's Bone. She'd done fuck yeah, all before she did that. And she's amazing in it. She was the wrong person to be in that film. And hands down, Hellraiser has always been and probably will always be my favourite horror film. And she is the one weak link in it because yeah. she's so annoying. And and when you, because I've seen it so many times, and you start looking at the little nuances. And I remember the last time I watched it, right at the very, very end of the film, when she sends the engineer back to hell, mm. you can, the camera goes close up on her and that. That boy who's her boyfriend. Oh, he's pointless. Oh, yeah. he's like, what the fuck? And. And she smiles, and I, I can every time I see it, I think, "Oh, fuck off!" <laughs> <laughs> but I think she's, I think she was totally wrong for the film, just completely wrong. Mm-hmm. She doesn't ruin it, but I just wish she wasn't in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I kind of tend to sort of fall into the middle, I guess, like you'd say. I, I, she's not. I don't think she's awful, but I, I just, you know, whenever she's on screen, it's sort of like, I, you know, I'm kind Put of Claire not pay- back on. I'm not, yeah, I'm not paying as much attention, so to speak. But yeah. you mentioned, I know we're talking about, um, it's another film, but Jennifer Lawrence. But I reviewed, um, it's called the American name, The Poker House. Um, I forget what it's called now, the, the UK name. And that's, Do they poke people in it? it? Yes. Funnily, well, it's based on a whorehouse. Um, <laughs> so kind of, I guess. But no, it's, um, 
and I reviewed that for the website uh, for mm. 60 Minutes with, and that's got Jennifer Lawrence in before mm. she was in Winter's Bone. But everybody says, oh, she, Winter's Bone. Now, I've not seen that yet. I have to hasten to say yet. I will watch mm. it because I've heard she was amazing. Obviously, she got nominated for an Oscar, didn't she? Um, but she's also fantastic in this film, The Poker mm. House. Um, and you can kind of see why, you know, where, yeah. I don't think she was like 16 when she did, made that. Yeah. But um, anyway, back to Imagine the Jennifer right. Lawrence playing Kirsty. Yeah. Different, different role oh, together, different absolutely. character. Yeah. Subtle. I, well, what, you know, going just on off on a tangent a little bit about Kirsty as well, is that the original book is based in Liverpool, as is Weave World is based in Liverpool. Now, this film is obviously, I mean, it was filmed in Britain, but you've got Larry, who's the American husband of uh, Julia, who's British. The house is in Britain. But everybody else is American, including the removal man. And it's a bit like, eh? Because they've dubbed over Oliver Parker, didn't they? And the boyfriend. And the boyfriend, He's got an American accent, hasn't he? It's so odd, because when I was watching it last night, the bit where um, uh, Kirsty falls down in the street with a box, Mm. and that guy with the New York Yankees hat comes up and goes, are you okay? (laughs) And I'm like, she fucking teleported to America (laughs) through the box. It's so busy, and it, it does take you back a bit after watching it so many times. Why the fuck is everybody American? And when Kirsty turns up at the beginning, you see her walking along a docks. Now, is that Liverpool? No, She's it's London. Up. It's in London. They filmed it in right. London, not in Liverpool. So, yeah, but, well, um, maybe it's more cosmopolitan in London. Yeah. You can forgive. Well, it's obvious why they did it. It was to, to appeal to the, the, the Atlantic yeah. market, isn't it? But it's, yeah. it is a bit weird, isn't it? A little bit. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she gets introduced to the household, like you said. She loves her dad, you know, and she doesn't really pay much attention to Julie. You can kind of tell that they don't really get on very well. Um, and But then Julia starts having more flashbacks about Frank and she tears the photo that she took from um, from his stash and leaving the, just the, the picture of him so she tears away the woman that he was with um, but it's like you start getting flashbacks of when he first met her and when he turned up at the door and it was raining you know and he introduces himself like he says hi I'm Frank but you can do a much better impression of it than I'm I can I'm Frank brother Frank yeah. that's it yeah. you can let me in or what oh come in you're so wet and handsome. Yeah, he's very smouldering at the door. He's very smouldering all the Do way. Do you know what? And yeah. I'll say this: even Zoe, yeah, said, "Oh, I'd let him in." Yeah, would do. <laughs> bad go. boy, we and love that's bad boys. From a, a young lady who's never seen this film before. Oh, I'd mm. let him in. Yeah. yeah. Because that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, as much as um, Larry's a nice guy and everything, he is a bit fucking dull and he's a bit... So yeah. he's, a, he's a, you know, a middle-aged man. He's not exciting particularly. They've probably been married for a, a few years now and it's like the, if whatever spark they had has worn off. But t- talking about... the, I think she... When she met Frank, it changed her because it almost... Not, not, not just physically, and I know we all changed over the years you know in terms of how we look and everything else but it's sort of like she's looks different when she's sort of like having the flashback she looks kind of innocent because this was just before she married larry that she meets frank and she kind of looks sort like happy almost whereas in the kind of like you know that um when she's in the current day shall we so to speak you know and she's thinking about it she almost as she looks very cold doesn't she and as if there's something like i said there's just something missing from her that's making her her unhappy which we know is obviously you know frank a but, good um, dicking a good yeah, yeah. exactly yeah good that's it exactly dicking. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a good observation, that, Chris, because that's, mm. that's probably quite overlooked, that she is very softly shot. Mm. Yes. And uh, she's got a lovely curl to her hair and she's yeah. very timide. And this yeah. guy turns up and, you know, she gets to that point where she says, I'll do anything, anything yeah. you want. Because he says, it's not enough. It's never enough. And she says, I'll do anything you want. And it's like, Psh, you're just another fuck to me, love. Yeah. Just another notch. Yeah. But it, yeah. like you say, it's changed her. Yeah. Mm. Totally. It mm. means everything to her, whereas to him, it's just, uh, you know, I'm fucking... It's almost like, yeah, and this isn't really fleshed out particularly, but I kind of made the story up in my own head because it kind of worked, that he's doing it just to get at his brother, because, just mm. because he can, because, he, you know, it's like that's the kind of man he is, you know. Yeah, he's going to go and fuck his new brother's bride-to-be because so what? I don't give a shit anymore, you know. And that, like you said, he's kind of almost lost and he's just looking for this next thrill. And so fucking his wife's you know, fiance, well, so what? I don't give a shit, you know. Um, but I just made that up in my own head. So That's, cool. That's good. No, but it's cold, isn't it? And you look yeah. at um Serbian film a couple of years ago, similar theme in that, a brother jealous of his his brother's wife ends up fucking her up the ass. Mm. I've not seen that and I have no plans to watch it, I have to say. It's yes, uh, everything I know about it. it. Oh, no, I don't know. It's I not can't... a nice film. I couldn't watch it, I don't think. Everything I know about it, I just think, no, I, I couldn't put myself through it. The, the strongest deviancies of Hellraiser, there are some flicks of it in this. Obviously, it's a totally different film. It's not a patch on Hellraiser. But, like, Frank's character, yeah, definitely doesn't give a shit. Oh, you're my brother's fiance. I'm going to smash the back off you. Yeah. Because I can. And, um, and, and they end up screwing on uh, her wedding dress as well. You I know that shot. Um, but the sex scene, and this is what I was talking about earlier on, which I cracked off to quite a lot. <laughs> I noticed something about this scene that I'd never never noticed before, and I think this is down to Arrow, actually. Mm. As they're having sex on the bed, she's got that little like shimmy thing on, hasn't she? Yeah. And they're lying on her wedding dress. You can hear somebody whisper, Julia, Julia, oh. Julia. And I never, and I've got every version of Hellraiser, mm. and I've never heard it before. But you can hear it on the on the Arrow Blu-ray, yeah, really. And it's coming out of both, you know, both speakers behind you as well, oh, which really is eerie. It, yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like you can you can imagine it's sort of like it's hell sort of whispering to her, you know, there's, you know, kind of premeditation of what's going to happen. Mm. It's like, you know, dragging her into changing her as a person, you know, but, mm. um, and I've got to say as well, I know, um, because you talked about, uh, what was it? A sex scene with Kate Dickey. Um, yeah. and you said that's one of the best sex scenes ever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not suggesting this is one of the best sex scenes I've ever on film, but it is still, pretty amazing you know for it's it's raw and mm. you know and sort of like it's don't you think it's interesting that you'd never see frank's face as well while they're having sex the camera's always on her face and her ecstasy yeah. and it, and it, as you said before i think that before he turns up she's innocent she's probably a virgin she probably lost her virginity to frank on mm. that bed and then he went, oh, fuck it, and took it away from her. And it's never been the same for her. And she's been stuck with this boring old fart who probably can't make her have an orgasm. And yeah. she's always longed for Frank afterwards. Yeah, and we get, kind of get a scene 
later on where I know there's a bit more to it, but like when he ta- she takes him to bed and there's another reason for her to do that, but it's almost like, you know, it's but it's a distraction, isn't it? It's almost like going through the motions and he's all very clumsy and fumbling, whereas Frank's just like, like a fuck machine, isn't he, basically? A bit like you, Chris. <laughs> That's what my, <laughs> my wife would say, yes. Would she? Uh, well, I she can't did, she imagine did last it. Night, anyway, did so, she? But... <laughs> I'm going to rig Fucking her later. Hell, lads. Sorry, sorry. Um, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get in the mood to talk about fucking Hellraiser, didn't you, I? You beast, mate. <laughs> Bent her backwards. Oh, <laughs> please. That's my brother you on the other You started it, Tina. Daddy. I did. I said that to her as well. Did what? you? Did she, like, no. did she understand it? She didn't. And she thought it was a bit creepy. Yeah. So, like, you're not my fucking daddy. What's going you're on here? My dad, get off. <laughs> this is going down. This is going down a path I'm not sure I want to go. Right, anyway. No, let's not go. But so, so, um, Larry's downstairs, he's getting, you know, whilst she's upstairs thinking about all this stuff and uh, it's, he's got, getting his bed up the, trying to get the, this bed up the sort of the stairs and this is where he rips his hand open on a, a broken, like a bent nail or whatever. And again, it's, I, I mentioned it earlier on, but it is, it's almost like a perfect, again, I'm going to use a wanky word term, synergy between her sort of like climaxing, you know, in her memory to him getting his hand ripped open and screaming, you know, like, and and then he kind of like he comes up the stairs and uh he's holding his hand and the blood is dripping on the floor and it's very slow isn't it sort of like the sort of like the, and very loud the sort of like the splatter that the the sound yeah. makes yeah. um and it's splashing, you know, and it gets sucked into the floorboards. And, you know, and he's a bit of, well, it looks like a pretty, it's a pretty nasty cut, but he's, he's quite a bit, he's a bit of a wuss about it all as well, isn't totally, he? You know? Yeah. And she's so pissed off with him. She's like, oh, you're not going to faint. And I've just been thinking about your brother's big knob. <laughs> and now yeah, you've come up yeah. here being all weedy. She yeah. was having that moment, wasn't yeah. she? But she's reliving it at that point. It's and very he, erotic, he though, it, isn't he? it? You know, yeah, I mean, totally. the bit where he gets his flick knife out and cuts the uh, her um, strap is... I can't, I defy any woman to watch that and, and not go, oh, yeah... Do you know what? It's funny, because Zoe said to me, you never do that, babe. Yeah. And she said... <laughs> Don't yeah. do it with my nice bras, but you could do it with one of my shitty yeah. bras. And I'm like, <laughs> all I haven't even got a fucking flick knife. I don't, I don't know. I All I women... Buy one now. This, uh, I'll tell you a secret now, right? I use right. a bread knife. This is, <laughs> this is a secret. <laughs> so don't knife. tell anybody, because, you know, it's uh, all women want to have their clothes ripped off them. Yeah, they do. Literally ripped off. Mm. And if you've got a balaclava on, while you're ripping them Fucking off, hell. that just makes it even better. Do you know what, Chris? Like, Christ. It's, to be I wasn't fair, expecting like, that. Fuck me. My, my experience of women as well, the more randomly brutal you are now and again, I'm not talking about raping or anything horrific like that. I'm talking about domineering. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They... Fucking bizarre, mate. It's like a, it washes over them, and their brains switch off. You know that nagging bullshit. You're a wanker. You can't do anything right. Crap. You get on a daily basis from ninety nine percent of women. You know, goes out the fucking window if you grab hold of them and threaten them with sex. They just turn into. They regress to some weird place. Yes. The only they don't even know where it is, but that is when you get control over them. Frank has control. I he's my spirit animal, man. Yeah, he, and he does. He can. He, she would do anything, and she anything. well. Late, later on in the film, she literally does do literally. 
anything for him. And um, but yeah, so you kind of see the blood getting sucked in the floorboards, and this, you, there's now the camera pans slowly below, and there's a beating heart. You know, practical and, effects. Yeah, here we Rule. go. So, now we'll talk about the effects in a second. But the, the, the and this is what I mentioned earlier on about the camera is so very slow and slow. Mm. It it almost seems like the film is slow paced, but that's that's this is the first twenty minutes of the movie, you know, mm. and it's like there's a lot happened. And but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel rushed at all, does it? You know, it's a um, gaze. It's it's. I don't know if that's a technical term, but it but it is a gaze, isn't it? It's not like zip 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 zip. This is happening. Blah 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 blah. It's almost like you're sort of uh, spying on them a little bit. You know, peeping mm. behind the curtain. Ooh. To get all that, and like you say, for twenty minutes of the movie, like. To get all this and what is to come in 90 minutes is mm. pretty fucking shrewd filmmaking, isn't it? It's incredible, yeah. yeah. And I've, I mean, I know um, American Werewolf means a lot to you, Ramrods, oh, you know. I know we haven't really talked about it much, but I just know yeah. it does from, you know, sort of knowing you a little bit. Um, but I've got to say, this is kind of, the, the, the following scene is kind of almost, it's, it's getting up there, do you know what I mean, in terms of the transformation. Yeah. And the room coming almost comes alive you know and we slowly sort of see frank being resurrected you know from you know his lungs forming his face his well not his face as much but the skeleton you know and it's very disturbing but also i think strangely beautiful as well because of the way that we mentioned the music is yeah, just you know it really great. accentuates mm, it doesn't it you know makes it sort of like makes see, it graceful yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could imagine, like, them, again, a sort of, like, less, um, I wouldn't say talented, but, you know, sort of, like, some a bit more schlocky. If you mm. put, like, schlocky sort of, like, music over the top of this, it'd seem a bit sort of almost slapstick in its sort of... But the way it's done, it's it's given its full um, sort of... Um, not potential, but do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm, it's, it's given yeah. its due. Yeah. I mean, what what do you guys think? I mean, I said I mentioned American Werewolf because that is just incredible. You know, th- there aren't much better than that in terms of sort of like mm. practical effects and transformation scenes. But what do you what did you think, Ramrod, of this? Well, I mean, the, for me, the, the the big thing for this movie, as when I watched it with a kid, is the makeup of the practical effects in it. Um, on a shoestring, they did this. I think it's Bob Keane is the main name. Oh. Jeff Portis is another guy who worked on Highlander. They both went on to work on Hellbound. But this is a golden age of this sort of shit. And they could... These were genius, you know, artists, these guys. And you look at Evil Dead, uh, you know, the reverse photography, the stop motion, which he uses in this as well when Frank finally rises up and screams. Yeah, you know, he's come back from this other dimension. I don't think it's hell, by the way. It's another dimension he's been. Mm. Uh, the, the, the beating heart, you know, it's a plastic bag mm. with blood on it. Yeah. But you recognise it as a it beating great, heart. It looks great, though, doesn't it? I think it looks, um, it's so effective. The, the, the arms coming out of the floor look like oh. the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, what the fuck is that coming out of the floor? The the way his ribs are formed, his skull. It's absolutely incredible feat of special effects. I'd love to have seen, you know, I haven't seen the Leviathan documentary. I don't know how in-depth they go into the, the effects in this scene specifically. I can imagine they do. But to see how... You know, the brain. It looks like lasagna. I almost think of lasagna. Wasn't it it the second or third go that they filmed that scene and it wasn't good enough? Then they filmed it again and that wasn't good enough. 
and then they finally settled on that one because there are, I know that there are quite a few you know nobody's ever seen them but they did film it you know they said well, we'll try this to make Frank come alive and we'll do this to make because didn't they use a real person at one point do you know what I have no clue. yeah I'm pretty Love sure that they uh, yeah I'm pretty sure and I don't I don't know if they do um, show it on the Leviathan documentary um, I mean, I watched it all when it first came out, but I, I know that they did have a couple of goes at using different methods. I mean, can you imagine if they did ever remake Hellraiser? CG. And that would be CG. Oh, gotcha. it, you know it would be. I mean, the, Because the... I've been with, I can't remember who it was now, but I watched this this film with someone who pissed themselves laughing at this bit. Really? Because the arms coming up out of the floorboards and then they flop down at the elbow, don't they? And I can't remember who it is, but they thought it was hilarious. And I was I was quite incensed by it really, because I think it's amazing. It's nervous it's, it's nervous yeah. laughter maybe. You never know because they because you don't know what the fuck you're looking at when mm. those two arms come up at the floor. They don't look like arms. Mm. You know where the f- how the fuck has he come back from the blood? Mm. You know yeah. what what the, you know. Let's not miss that bit. What the fuck brought him back? Larry's blood from where? What was he? Where was he? Under the floorboards. That, Bits that of him were under there. Still perplexes me, and not in like an angry way. Not in a way that I don't get this bit, but in a way is like what the fuck has summoned him, has drawn him. He escapes the Cenobites, remember? This is the point where we realise Frank has returned from this other hellish dimension he's in. How has he got away from them? And they never really touch on it in the film, do they? Mm. And I'm getting away from the effects for a second, but that always, that always not sort of bothered me that it's never really... T- which is good in a way, because, you know, you don't need everything laid out on a fucking silver platter for you. We're not stupid. you just got to put it down to imagination. But... I think he escaped from them. By actually being reborn, that was the escape. The fact but that he how? came back. How? How did he come back? I think bits what is of the, him... What sucks the blood into the floorboards? Why is he under the floor? Well, I think, like, his essence is yeah, under just, there because he yeah. died there. He got ripped apart there. So bits of him, is, you know, it's like DNA is Like still in front there. of these things is floating yeah. around us and we can't see and maybe it's that. Yeah. He's in another dimension. And, like, if it was anybody else's it. blood... He wouldn't have come back, but because it was his brother's blood. Okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. I needed that for a second, but But, yeah. yeah. But then just to sort of like challenge that theory a little bit, it's then maybe initially it's his brother's blood, but then after that it's not, it can be anybody's blood, can't it? Because that's what you need. But then saying that, he sucks them dry, doesn't he, essentially? A bit like Julia. But um, but yeah, you mentioned the thing. I mean, I can't, you know, talking about practical effects, I mean, that's just amazing. And, And having then seen, not, you know the prequel as to whatever you want to call it and that was so much cgi it was yeah it, it, it was just it was pointless almost it didn't you know it didn't have any heart but then i do i, I have sort of heard that they did plan to make it mostly with practical effects there but then... is a, a big thing on uh, the internet at the moment just uh, going off point that they are try they are campaigning to release tom woodruff's version of the movie everything was shot practically yeah. everything in that film and there's a huge online campaign to get that version released yeah. with his practical effects, which would be interesting. But going back to Hellraiser, obviously, the practical effects in this, again, for the time, and even now, I watched it last night, 2016, I watched this, and I still had somebody sitting next to me that never saw it before going, wow, look at that. And I was yeah. going, look at that. It is really happening in that room, that thing. 
That is terrifying. Imagine walking in on that fucker coming out. I mean, I know you get to see him <laughs> later. Imagine walking in on that going on. The poor rats in that scene don't know what the fuck to do with themselves. <laughs> I love that shot of the rats yeah. where they're fucking crawling on top of each other to get away from this. You know, he's coming back from the other side because they know what a cum Frank is. Yeah. And they know, <laughs> they know they're getting nailed to the wall later on. In the <laughs> well, that's it. it it's, it's the best rat acting scene, I think, since Raiders of the Lost Ark. where the critter from the shitter. <laughs> the, the, the swastika's been burnt off the, you know, the crate, and it's like the rats are going fucking ape shit, you know. But anyway, but di- we digress. But yeah, so you you then uh, you go from that scene, and again, there's sort of like one extreme to another with some of the scenes, in as which is that's obviously quite graphic, you know, and but majestic at the same time. So then there's a house party going on, you know, they've obviously invited their friends around, Julia and Larry have, um, but Julia's completely bored, she's sat there with all these middle-aged fuckers, and she just she just doesn't want to be there, you know, and she makes it apparent, and she excuses herself from the table, and kisses all the other men, except Larry true story, which is rough, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do that as well his Don't face, you? his face yeah. in that scene is a picture yeah he doesn't have to say a word. He goes, are you all right? And she goes, oh, I'm, I, I'm going to bed. I'm and going to bed because I'm British and you're all American. He hates it. He fucking, he doesn't know what he's done wrong. Yeah. His yeah. face says it all. It's a brilliant bit of I acting. I think all the way through, he doesn't know what he's done wrong. I feel for Larry. I really yeah. do. I do. I feel yeah. sorry for Larry. Yeah. No. Um, but, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it later on in as much as I think... Uh, he, he does such a great job, Andrew Robinson, you know, mm. because he almost plays two parts, you know. Well, but he we'll, does, doesn't we'll, he? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that later on. So, but, um, yeah, so she then sort of like going to bed, she, but she hears some noises and she then explores the attic where Frank was resurrected and sort of like goes to turn around, but Frank grabs her leg. Um, but it's revealed that he's obviously got no skin on his body. And I think it's a pretty effective jump scare, you know, it kind of does, you know, sort of, uh, it got me again. But there's an even better jump scare, which is up there from up there with the sort of jump scare from Jaws uh, later on. Um, but the sight of him sort of crawling across the floor is pretty, you know, gross in itself, you know, because uh, he obviously hasn't got much strength to do anything else, you know, and he's dragging this husk, you know, this kind of body along the floor. Then he reveals himself to her and she's obviously freaked out. But then when she, he speaks in, in that amazing voice, you know, and goes, Julia, you know, it's me, it's Frank, and all this, that and the other. And, and it, it, they're having this kind of like, you know, this thing going on. And then, but the Frank sees Kirsty through a crack in the door. And even though he doesn't say anything, his intentions are pretty clear. It's like he's going to use Julia. You know, this isn't explained at the time, but you obviously haven't watched the film now. He's going to use Julia to make him whole again. But he's he's eyeing up Kirsty already. You, you know, do mm-hmm. I mean, you guys pick up on that as well? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I love that shot of him peeping through the crack of the door. The thing in the attic. Do you know what I mean? It's one of it, once he's established as being this this horrible and the zombie makeup on him there is my favourite next to American Werewolf um, dangly neck rip. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makeup on Frank there, and I, I was saying it before about his his sunken look and his like he's like a ch- his body's like a child almost when he's dragging himself around. Yeah, yeah. He's tiny, but he's got this he's got this voice that he's got in Frank, and he's commanding. And she's that her reaction when she sees mm. him. It's fucking amazing because yeah. she's terrified. It's almost yeah. like they never told her what was going to happen. It was like the, the alien bursting scene. 
They never told the actors. They never were going to tell Claire Higgins what you were going to see. And she just goes, oh, my God. Because she, wh- who are you? She keeps saying, who are you? Because, like, you know, you wouldn't know it was Frank, would you? It's me, it's Frank. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, this guy, poor Larry's downstairs, while his fucking zombie brother is in his attic spying up his daughter. And that's the horror shit I fucking feed on in this. Peeping through cracks of the door, nobody knows he's up in the attic. Larry, he doesn't go in there. He's not bothered, is he? He just wants no. his life to be nice and quiet and easy. Meanwhile, zombie fucking moochie bastards upstairs. <laughs> Gee, it, it ter- it, you know what? And It terrifies me every time I see that first time you see Frank. It's one of the most purest like horror scenes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. It's like you said, because his legs, he's sort of like atrophied, you know, he's got nothing, yeah. there's nothing there, there's the, you know, and he's just the way he drags himself and grabs oh. her ankle. But, and then they, they kind of, she gets a bit more used to it, I guess, and when she realises it's actually him, and she's already starting to thinking about shagging him, you know, so you can yeah. t- t- tell that even though this horrible thing's on the floor, she's thinking about, you know, the, the time that they shared together. I could get um, my dick again. Yeah. Well, doesn't that show what a great actress she is? Because she literally goes from being, I mean, I'm plausibly terrified. Out of all the horror films I've seen, I've never seen anybody do it so realistically as this particular scene. Because she is like, you look at her and you think, shit, she's really shitting herself. She is mortified, yeah. And then she goes in the space of like a matter of two or three minutes from, holy fuck, to, yeah, okay, I'll kill people for. <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. she? And it's believable. She's totally believable in it. Yeah, and so, so yeah, she agrees to do anything for him, you know. And uh, but the next scene is Kirsty having a dream, and this I find out of all the film really disturbing, and it still disturbed mm. me, like after you know, because she's having this dream, and she hears any anything with babies crying in films. Or, and even later on, there's a baby and it's screaming and that's disturbing, you know. Mm. But the, there's a baby and it's crying. And then she's walking up to this kind of, um, uh, this, pla- you know, what would what, what you call it? Uh, a the, shrouded the, figure. Yeah, that's it. And but lying down. Like it's that. like a pure white sort of like um, sheet. and But there's a body underneath that you can tell that much. And she's slowly sort of like seeing this body under the sheet. And then the, it just, the, it fills with blood, you know, the bed or whatever it is that, that, that this body's on. And she pulls the sheet back and I can't quite tell who it's supposed to be, but the face isn't, it's obviously, it's not right. You know, it's fucked up. I mean, who, who do you think it it's, is? It's a dad, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she immediately phones Larry. So but you can't quite, t- I mean, I couldn't tell it was a, I think it's I, the makeup, isn't it though? That's the thing. Oh, okay. They've enough. tried to make it look like, you know, Larry. Mm. Why does she have the dream? Why? Yeah, it's almost because... like she's a psychic in in, in other had... things. Yeah. It's like the the man that ha- that pops up, the tramp mm, that yes. pops up. What what plot device he serves? Yeah, you know, it's like, well, what what is that all about? It's like some sort of foreboding and forewarning of the horror that's happening to her. She's already in the middle of it, and he only only happens to Kirsty. Yeah. And and I remember when the film came out, a lot of people said that that was Clive Barker. He was doing a Hitchcock in it. He, lo- it looks like him, it's doesn't not it? Him. Under the makeup, it's it does not look him. like it. it well, I don't know. It's, it's not, not him. him. It's a different actor. But that that's that, it's true though, because that tramp that turns up and eats mm. the cockroach 
cockroaches or whatever, the locusts. Uh, it's almost like once Frank has returned, the the power of the box, the lament configuration, yeah. the box is called, yeah. is is in motion. This thing is bigger than just a box from another world. This thing has got a guardian on Earth, which I believe that guy is, as you find out later on in the movie. Um, and Kirsty's already, you know, blood related to this thing and uh, it's affecting her in ways we don't know these things are from another dimension we don't know how far they reach is we don't want to know that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it yeah but it started to touch her in that way because this thing has started to unravel and it's bigger than it's bigger than a box it's bigger than a guy in his attic trying to have a, a good cum you know, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's, it's, it's bigger you know there's something else has come into motion now frank has returned yeah, and we don't know exactly what, but that's why it's creepy and weird, and we love it. Mm. But she had this, this, so she has this premonition of a of a dad, and, and so she phones him up, and you know, says, yeah. "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And but Frank's listening, you know, in the attic, and and it becomes even more apparent because uh, about his desire for Kirsty, because when he hears Larry sort of speak her name, he repeats it, which Kirstie. is he's creepy. Mm. <laughs> I love that bit, isn't it? You know. Um, and then, so that this is the the bit where you start to see Julia. She starts on a quest, you know, I guess to, to helping Frank, and and but doesn't quite fully understand what it entails. So she goes to a bar, and this guy chats her up, and she she brings him back home. I have to mention now what Julia has on in this bar. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but I I think Claire Higgins is. She, I mean, she's gorgeous now. She's an older lady now. But in this film, she's really stunningly beautiful. And she's so 1980s in it. Those it's yuppie-ish, isn't it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. She's I coordinated mean, her eyeshadow and her blouse. Her, her eyeshadow is out of this world. But the one thing that I love about Julia is those big star earrings. And even though, I mean, I know it's made in the mid-80s and she is totally 80s dressed. And yet, I think she's classic as well. Mm. She's timeless, the way she dresses. I think she, I've got to be honest with you, and even now, you know, um, not necessarily so much her hair, because that was like hairstyle of the time, but Mm. but the rest of her, her look and everything else, because she's got high heels. Yeah. uh, you would imagine stockings, but you know I do anyway. Uh, you I'd, know, I'd agree with you there, mate. You know, and there's sort of not a short skirt, but short enough for you to get the attention and sort of a very professional look. And I have to say, I go for that look. That's kind of <laughs> that's my thing, you know. Um, but and I thought, and I think she looks pretty hot, you know. She yeah. still, she still reminds me, even watching it now, though, of even though when I watched it when I was a kid, and obviously she's very sexual in it, but she's very dominant, isn't she? Mm. And I was intimidated by her. And didn't necessarily fancy it. No. Watching it now in my thirties, I still have the same feeling about it. Not that I don't appreciate her beauty and her power, because she's very attractive, but I still see her as an older, more intimidating woman. Even yeah. though I'm thirty-six and probably so you, the same you didn't age think Angie from EastEnders then? No, Ooh, <laughs> nobody no. can touch um, Claire Higgins in this. For no. totally, oh, she's totally, You couldn't she? approach yeah. her. Yeah. Now these men, because she's vulnerable in that scene where she's in the bar, because mm. she doesn't know what she's doing, does she? No, yeah. no. I think and... she's pissed up as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, and she, there's a, there's a bit of sort of Dutch courage, I guess. And um, again, when she brings the guy home and he starts kissing her, and she's again, she, I wouldn't say she'd quite happily kill him because she doesn't quite happily kill him, but she would prefer to kill him than 
have him hit kiss her almost that's the way it comes across to me she doesn't want any even though she's you know enticed him there by the promise of having sex with him it's like that it's become real almost then like when he kisses her and then he kind of he it's I don't know whether it was done on purpose because he almost turns a bit rapey at that point, that's doesn't he? What, I think that's what turns yeah. to grab yeah. the hammer. Because yeah. at that point I don't give a shit about him being killed no. particularly, you know. It's a good it's a good it's a good turn in the scene that because you do mm. feel sorry for him up to that point where he goes, We're not gonna change your mind, are you? Mm. And all of a sudden she goes, Oh, fuck you in her head. I'm I'm gonna knock your fucking head in, mate. Because up to that point, she's terrified. It's just the beauty of her acting in it, though, yeah. isn't it? Again, yeah. You know, he asks for it almost, and like a um, what's that Scarlett Johansson film we love, where she's an alien? Oh, uh, under the skin. Under the skin, and uh, she does the same thing. Out, she lures men back to her house, yeah. and how fucking thick are men? Up until the final victim in this film, they're thick as fuck. These men, they all follow her back to her house in the middle of the day, up to an attic. Yeah, and an empty like, attic. You wouldn't fucking get me in that. I wouldn't yeah. go with her anyway. I'm scared of her as it is. <laughs> yeah, but she's like Lady Macbeth, isn't she? And how ironic is it that she's going out killing these blokes who just want to fuck her, mm-hmm. and she's killing them for a bloke she wants to fuck yeah. and be loved by. So she's like, I mean, she comes across as like Lady Macbeth. Do you... Are you familiar with Lady Macbeth? I know David is. What about you, Chris? Yeah, yeah, I, I did Macbeth when I was at school. Uh, yeah. But she's also like a, the wicked stepmother, stroke evil Disney queen as well, oh, isn't yeah, she? She's all that. And yeah. you know, she's like the epitome of a bad lady because she's not a virgin as well. Yeah, and I think she's mm. described as that later on, isn't she? Like the the sort of evil step mother mm. and i think they play on that a bit more in the second film oh totally yeah but um yeah. yeah she so she takes him into the the attic like you said this kind of like horrible room which if that was me you know even if i did go to the house i'd be sort of like thinking what the fuck i don't want to be in this room <laughs> you know what I mean? are you um, sure are you sure you would though the, if well, you were half cut and you'd got her standing in front of you and you got your trousers around your ankles well, this is the thing, right? So the first thing he does... Now, I'm not saying I'm an old romantic or anything like that, but, you know... Aww, you are it, really. Well, you know, but I'm not... The thing is, right, I've never done this, especially on a first date or, you know, like a, you know first shag, you know, whatever, is the sort of, like, taken my trousers off and just left my socks and boxes on <laughs> and wife oh, oh, haven't you? What, do you just undo your zip then and get your old man out? <laughs> Is that what you do? Is that romance? (laughs) Oh, dear. But do you know what I mean? It's almost like, well, she's not kind of, you know, there's a, obviously when you're getting together, you you know, you undress each other almost, you know, but he's just ready, you know. Who the hell have you been shagging? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you sort of like, well, she's, uh, you know, sort of just watching him get undressed or, you know, and I, I, yeah, and he, but he is, he's a fucking, there's yeah. nothing attractive about him at care. all. He doesn't care. He's wants pissed. To, he's he pissed, just wants to he? get he his cocks care, up, yeah. doesn't he, really? Or, that's know. it, because he says, yeah. doesn't he, oh, I've had a little bit too much to drink, I need a wee, you yeah. know. And that's it, he goes for a slash and then she fucking gives him the beef. And that's it, because so then she picks up this hammer and smacks him three times, and it is brutal. And I have to say, I sort of focus more on the makeup this time around, mm. which is incredible because he's got fucking teeth missing, a yeah. huge gash on his face. Like he's been gone. She's gone to town, you know, on his head with this hammer and the makeup is fucking amazing. You know, and another shout out to Arrow because on there, on in the Scarlet box on that desk, 
it's very clear that makeup that, oh, that yeah. I've, I and mean, you can sort of see it in the other films but this particular one you go oh my god yeah. i didn't know all these teeth were missing no yeah. i never saw that yeah. before yeah. i never I, saw that it's that i've gone i've you know you know obviously i haven't got the the, the arrow one i'm watching the uh, anchor bay tin the region one tin of it Lovely. The DVD. and you know it's it's got a nice little bit of softness to it and all that but you do she i think she catches him with a claw end mm. in that second hit and that takes his jaw fucking sideways now that is a nasty scene that is that is a horrible brutal scene and when he hits the deck out comes old frank yeah <sighs> and crawls all over and he's and it's, hungry it's horrible you know but you don't see what he does to the body at that point do you no sort of no. You, it's like she turns away and um the, it's like you just see the remains when she returns, but sort of just so she goes into the bathroom and they talked about this on this sort of like one of the documentaries. And this is what they, they realized that she was fucking perfect for this yeah. f- film. It's just that look that she's yeah. got because she she's got, blo- yeah. she's got blood on her and she's looking in the mirror and it's like the camera is focused just purely on her face, isn't it? And it's as close as you could get, I guess, for for the camera to be, you know, and it's amazing, you know, her facial yeah. expression at that stage. Mm. Yeah, she's so fucking brilliant in this. Yeah, I, she doesn't she miss a beat, mm. you know. And that whole scene from the moment she goes to that wine bar to that moment she looks at herself in the mirror, like you say, when Frank fucked her the first time, he changed it. She's recaptured it, and she realizes at this moment, I've, this is going to be worth it. This is what I've got to do. I yeah. don't know. I think when she looks at herself at that point, she's filled with regret. Do you think? I I do. I do. I don't think. I think she can't believe that she's just done what she's what she just did. I don't and think she I gives think, a fuck. I think she doesn't give a fuck when she looks at herself in the mirror the second time. Yeah, it's when, almost like a job at that when point. When Larry you know. comes home, then doesn't yeah. he? He's shouting her, and she goes back into the bathroom to wipe the blood off him. Well, mouth. then she's got to become the false thing she doesn't want to be again. I don't. I don't think she is false. I think that is her true self. She's got a bullshit Larry though. She can't just say, "Oh, sorry, mate, don't go in the attic," because Frank's eating some bloke. Sorry, Chris. We're Chris. We're skipping ahead, aren't we? A little bit. No, that's <laughs> sorry, cool. Go on. I, I mean, my take on it is, that I think that there, she's filled with sort of almost shock as to what she's doing because mm. she's washing her hands, like not just you know, kind of calmly. There's a franticness about her, and she's she is kind of like, oh, and then she's got, um, you know blood on her face as well and she's trying to wipe it all away and i think that she's somewhere in between she's like kind of just realizing it's coming to terms with the fact that she's just actually killed somebody mm. but it's oh, it's the, i think it's the shock as well of sort of him crawling over and mm. what he's going to do to to mm. the body because when she goes back you kind of see the body and it looks like it has been sucked dry yeah. it could but again fills your imagination well what the fuck's he done to him you know mm. um and but Frankie's more whole now, isn't he? He's, he's he's without flesh on his bones, but he is upright, isn't he? And he's become more. Sort he's of... Oliver now. Hey. Eh? He's Oliver. He's turned into Oliver. The actor. Oh Please, right. Luke, can I have some more? Oh, that's what I thought. I thought what the <laughs> fucking hell? Oliver <laughs> Reed. You mean? you mean Oliver Smith, Tina? Oliver Say Smith. Say his full name, so we yeah. know what you're talking about. Oh. Oliver Smith, who is now Skinless Frank. Mm. Yeah. But the makeup, again, is superb, you know, because it's um, he's become more humanoid. But, you know, it's like, you can, but you can see his ribs and there's goo and shit dripping off him, you know. And um, she she's 
he, even though you could probably imagine he could do it but uh, because he's got more strength but it's like he lets her take the dead body um and carries it away doesn't he you know it's almost like she's it's her job he's using her for all the shitty bits you know but he's not I say he's, he's not a gentleman at all because he could have picked up the body and been a partner in crime almost but he's just letting her get on with it picking mm. up this horrible husk you know um and then larry comes home like you said and this is where sort of like you get the first mention of the cenobites but you don't know what they are or anything you know because it's not properly explained but she's now totally obsessed with frank because i think there's a scene where he kind of puts his finger in her mouth which he did earlier on when he was like frank as in uh sean chapman and she kind of like not sucks his finger but sort of licks it you know there's got quite sexual with uh, the whole thing but it's it's even worse now because he's not He's obviously got no skin on him, so it's like it's leaving rippy and slimy, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's leaving a trail of blood uh, by her lips, you know, which is is pretty vile. She doesn't care though, because he's still more exciting than Larry. Yeah, um, mm. and but this is the sort of scene that you're you're talking about earlier on, which again, it kind of it's almost like you think, well, why is this in the film? Because Kirsty's at her job. She works in a pet store or whatever. Um, and you see the creepy dude sort of just walk mm. in and he gets his hand, he puts his fist in this tank and pulls out all these locusts and sticks them in his gob. But I'm I'm with you. I always thought it was um, Clive Barker, you know, with, yeah. a big, with a big beard. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's not him, apparently. No, it's... Uh, I don't know the name of the actor, but it's not... Uh... And I, I've often wondered if he was... Like maybe he was the original engineer, but he's not because the the original engineer is the engineer that you see in the film, the big monster at the end with the hands that sort of propel him down passageways. So his, I think his function, I don't know if you feel the same, David, mm. in the film is similar to Kirsty having that nightmare where he's part of the other world and he's sort of... Yeah, he's just keeping an eye on things. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. this box has been made, hasn't mm. it? You know, it hasn't just appeared. So it's got to have some sort of martial on Earth. And this guy's following. He doesn't follow Kirsty around, but he appears. He makes his presence known, doesn't he? Mm. Um, the, 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 it's a bigger thing than just, you know, what we think it is. Mm. Yeah. It's just there, creeps her out, you know. And Well, yeah. I've never read anything about his his function in the story or you know if it was like he had more scenes that were cut or so you know i've never i don't know if anybody else has read anything about you know if clive bark has actually said oh yeah he's so and so and this got cut and blah 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 but i uh yeah because he because he does sort of he it's almost like it, it's like in um in hamlet with um gilden rose and cranston and gildenstern that you they they were the comic relief um, you know, that, that it's really intense, it's intense and it's powerful and you need a break. So they'd have a little comedy bit here and there in Shakespeare plays. And it's almost like, it's like, oh shit, it's all like murder and oh, let's put this little bit in now with a mm. tramp eating some locusts. But so... I, didn't, I didn't find I didn't get any comedy off it. I, you know, no, it's... no, I didn't mean it was funny. It was almost like, ooh, maybe we need to make the time up a bit. Or Kirsty okay. hasn't been in it for a while. <laughs> True, oh, yeah. You know, what should we... How can we put Kirsty back in? Well, you know, oh, we'll put her in the pet shop with a stupid boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and But then you, you like Julia's sort of 
brings another man back to the house and she's more confident now, isn't she? Because she's sort of almost like smiling, you know, which uh, she's becoming more of the murderer, you know, because she knows what she's got to do. And she's, you know, ha- like before she was nervous doing it. She didn't really want to sort of go through with it, you know, in terms of didn't understand what it entailed. But now it's like, yeah, I'm going to bring him home because you see her smiling at this guy, mm-hmm. you know, leading him into the house, you know, killing him um but it has become a job you know instead of it's a means to an end um and frank is becoming more human you know he's actually wearing some clothes to cover up you know the sort of i say exposed parts of his body um and he shows julia the box and explains about the cenobites now and we see more of them and we see actually his fate don't we you know and it's almost like she sees it too it's yeah, projected I into thought, her mind i've always thought that as well i i've always thought that him describing it to us somehow she actually sees it as well yeah, yeah. did you do you think that that ramrod as well yeah it's um i mean frank's smoking a fag as well isn't this the scene and that's really says, important isn't it because he yeah yeah but this is where he goes i can taste that i haven't tasted anything in a long time and i'm thinking he hasn't tasted pussy either for a long time <laughs> oh, that's so rude. it's true though isn't it because that's no. what he's saying I haven't tasted anything in a long time. And you know what he's talking about there, don't you? Mm. But Frank with a fag and a jacket on is just one of the greatest things ever for me. Yeah. Because he's, I'm a man again. I just need some skin. He's got blood. Yeah, he's bloody red head and everything. He's got no hair or face, or like you said, skin. Uh, And it's like the blood's coming through his shirt. But it's like you said, he's, he's, Almost there, isn't he? He, say, um, he says that he's in pain because his nerves are working. And I always hate that when he says that. Because, I, I mean, being heavily tattooed, I know what it feels like mm. to, to have subtle, enduring pain over time and having your entire body skinless. But he never complains apart from once he goes, I need skin. I'm in constant pain. He must be in absolute fucking torment, but he's loving it. Do you think he is in pain, or do you think he's saying that just to get it to do some no, more? You don't know, though, do you? Because if, yeah. you, I think he is, if you graze your knee, paces, doesn't he? Yeah, if you paces. graze your knee, it hurts, man. And he mm. does. He's banging the wall, isn't he? And he's he's fucking seething with pain. He feels everything. Yeah, but he's taking it. Yeah, and it's the, hard as fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. And it, but this is the bit that we were talking about earlier on, where sort of Larry's getting into the boxing. You know, he's loving it, isn't he? Uh, I love Larry watching the boxing. He's like fucking throwing rights and lefts. He looks over <laughs> at Julia, and she's like prick. And he's like, oh, I better stop then, don't I? <laughs> and Frank's having a right hard time in the attic at this point, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, and but uh, he's got. Well, you don't normally like watching the boxing, but. Um, it's which because you almost become desensitized to any I've violence. Seen, I've seen worse. Yeah, exactly. I've yeah. knocked somebody's fucking teeth out with a claw hammer. You know uh, uh, that that does raise a chuckle. That's <laughs> yeah. the one funny bit in the film which goes, "I've seen worse," and it's like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but so but he hears like this banging upstairs, and Ju- Julia realizes that sort of Frank is, you know, potentially going to kill Larry. Frustration, uh, isn't it? And it's pure frustration in him. Yeah. Why and, have I got to wait? Exactly, yeah, and despite, it's like he's he's making the noise to, to sort of lure, you know, Larry upstairs. Uh, and despite what she's done, I think, again, this is sort of like the subtleness of her acting. She's not ready to see her husband die yet. Mm. I don't think she is, you know, she's there's still a, even maybe a tiny minute piece, but it's still there of humanity left in her to sort of like, I don't want this to happen. 
which is why she kind of goes to the lengths that she does to try and stop it from happening. I don't know. What do you think? It's, yeah. Or do you think she is kind of like, I don't know. It, that's my take on it. You know, she's not ready to, for him to die yet. Even though she doesn't like him, she's bored with him. She'd much rather just leave him and go off with Frank as opposed to have him fucking killed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. She, she obviously yeah. loved Larry. That's why she was going to marry him in the first place. Frank opened up that, you know, bizarre depravity in her. Larry, for once, wants to be the man in this scene, doesn't he? I'm going to go and investigate this noise like any man would. I'm going to defend my woman. I'm going to go, look, do not go in that fucking attic, Larry, to the point where she nearly starts crying in front of him. You know, and again, her acting. And, and I was sitting there with Zoe last night. And she's going, why hasn't he sussed her out? I said, because he's a sap. He's a sucker. You know, he loves this woman. And he's drawn in by her, and she stands in front of that fucking attic door, knowing we're thinking Frank is in there, ready and waiting. Come on, we'll have sex. The last thing she can do, her last resort, is to fuck him. It's the last yeah. thing she wants to do. Yeah. She's just right, though. She doesn't want him to die. She wants yeah. to fuck off. And yeah, but so they go, he goes to the room, and, and then this is where you see the, the rats nailed to the wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she takes him to bed. You know, like you said, Ramrod, she doesn't want to shag him, but that's the only sort of thing she's got left to try and stop him from going into the room. Um, and they start, you know, getting down to it. You know, like I said, and it's kind of total opposite with what Frank would have just fucked her and ripped her clothes, clothes off. He's there. He's like really clumsy. He's like groping her. And, you know, she's not into it at all. And But then you see... And the music gets to a fucking crescendo, you know, and and there's like from memory thunder and lightning going on, mm. and he kind of emerges from the wardrobe. Um, Frank does, and he's stand, he's just standing over them, like a few feet away from them, watching. And she sees this, and she's like getting really upset now because he gets this rat that he's got in his hand. I love and this scene. Starts <laughs> carving it alive, you know, and. It is alive, I think, the rat, isn't it? Oh, it's not like a real rat, obviously. Or is it dead? I can't remember now. Either it's way. It's dead. It's floppy, isn't it? Okay. So, yeah. It's in shock, I think, that the skin <laughs> looks mad. It. It's been chopped in half. It's watched this fucking guy come off, up at the floor a day before, and now he's in his hand. He's like, what the fuck's going to happen to me now? I see me mates nailed to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of still wriggling, I think, if I remember right. Yeah, they're still that. twitching. When that lightning, that, that lightning flashes, you see the rats nailed to the wall. And Zoe was, oh, poor rat. I still think the same, even though they're not real, because I'm such a dickhead. But um, yeah, but he got yeah, he's he's got his flick knife and he's cutting the skin off, and she's crying and she, you know, she's saying she can't bear it. And Larry just, I, this is where I feel sorry for him because he can't understand it. He's like she's enticed him into bed, but then he's she's like crying, like she doesn't want it to happen. He's go and she's like saying. He doesn't understand it, but she's saying, I can't bear it. I can't bear it. Like, having sex with your husband is that bad. Do you know what I mean? We've all but, and... <laughs> I've literally had that happen to me. Really? Yeah. Not in the last few years, but a while yeah. ago, yeah. With that Fuck woman me. you married? Yeah, some very... Uh, women can do some strange shit in the throes of passion. And, school, I mean, cutting a rat in half, who doesn't get fucking horny watching that? <laughs> it got me going. I love Frank, though, in that scene when she lures Larry into bed. You get that little shot of Frank walking into the cupboard. He walks across camera, and it's ter- it's horrible because you go, Jesus Christ, he's in the room. This is it. Yeah. You know, that bit where he comes and opens that rat up, it's funny as well because he's just like, yeah, have a look at that. 
Yeah. Do you like that? Dude? Is that getting you fucking wet? Yeah. It's a very odd little scene, and that's his dominance over her. He's like, I'm going to go back in the cupboard now. Just remember, I'm here. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, he had all the power in that scene. Why didn't he just fucking rail Larry in the back of the head with his flip knife? <laughs> Why didn't he get it over with? He's oh. just like, it's like you said, it's it's better for him. He gets off on, more on it to mm. sort of like show her how powerful he is over, like, yeah. rather than just do it and kill it, kill him quick. Now I'm going to have some fun as well with you, mate, you know, and I'm going to watch you sort of in this horrible situation with the husband who you don't like. And I'm going to fucking taunt you and glower over you, you know, and it's, but yeah. And then, so anyway, the next day, Larry's sort of having lunch with Kirsty and says that, you know, there's a problem, you know, and that tells her to stop by. Um, and it's sort of like, Kirsty stops by and sees Julia taking a man into the house and um, she thinks what's going on is she having an affair and that's why you know it kind of clicks in her mind well her dad's just told her that there's something wrong in the relationship and now she's sort of like sees Julia take another man there she doesn't quite understand so she follows them into the house and this is where you actually see what Frank does to his victims which is basically sinks his fingers into the back of the mac like the guy's neck and this is kind of how he consumes them and it's like and it, 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 it didn't make me chuckle but the sound of him sort of like sucking them dry is what he always makes it, it sound like it's a little bit of the straw at the end of a drink it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. It's like that when when he gets that guy into the room, and this guy is the only one you feel sorry for because he's very apprehensive. He doesn't want to do it really. Yeah. And when he walks into that attic, and Frank is standing with his back against the wall, you can only see like a shim, a sliver of him. And he looks at Frank, and you see it from his POV. And I, this is this is why I love this film so much as a horror movie. You go into somebody's attic. You're not really sure that you want to be there to have sex with this woman. And you're greeted by a skinless man in a suit standing with his back against the wall. And he's coming at you with all intent in his eyes. It's one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in a horror film, that bit. And that guy is fucking terrified. Julia doesn't give a fuck at this point, does she? She's done with all this. You're the last one as far as I'm concerned. And I, I, I love that bit. You know, it's it's the um, it's the subway in American Werewolf for me. That scene, yeah, it's the, the absolute terror. This poor bastard's like Jesus fucking Christ! What the hell is that? You know, and you don't get that in a lot of horror films anymore. People are so savvy in horror films now because they always reference horror films. I've seen Halloween. I know how to deal with a killer. But this is one of those moments that you don't get in horror films anymore where you see something you can't explain and there's nothing you can do about it. Just utter terror. Pure yeah. horror, yeah, pure yeah. horror, that scene. Um, but Kirsty's in the house. Can I oh, just stop? Of course, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. I just need a wee. Oh! I'm just, oh. I'm just um, writing down the time for Dave. I was going to say, a bit of editing for poor old yeah. Dave. Fuck you, Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Won't be, <laughs> be a sec. Won't be a sec. yours, ball bag. Kirsty's in the house and she's looking around and um, 
this sort of like the half sucked body appears and so does Frank and it's a, you know he kind of like goes to grab her and this is the the line isn't it you know it's like it's sort of like come to daddy you know kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah. come to daddy because and, and this is the first time she hears it uh, which is a, obviously a cue for her to realize that it's all gone tits up later on um but she sort of like he backs her into a, the room uh, the attic and so she grabs into his stomach, uh, you know, damaging him, but gets the box at the same time. But and she can tell from the look on his face, uh, you know, sort of like and his sort of uh, the way he's reacting to it that it means something to him. So, sort of her means of escape is to distract him by throwing it out the window, and she manages to get out the house. Um, is there anything in, the, in that particular scene that sort of like caught you, your guy, you know, you yeah, guys? Definitely, I, uh, the way Frank laughs. After she sticks her hand into his guts and he's on the floor laughing because he, he's like, oh, you've got a bit of fucking firing, haven't you, love? Yeah. 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 He loves that. He wants her more then. I yeah. hate I hate his expression in that. He's disgusting. Mm. Yeah. And so she's left the house and she's dazed and confused and collapses in the street. And even though it's England, she gets sort of like woken up by American people. <laughs> but um, she think those nuns were American. Oh yeah, yeah she goes past weird. two nuns, doesn't she? Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? But yeah. um, but the so religious iconography. Again. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Subtle. She wakes up in hospital, but it seems more like a psychiatric hospital than a, you know, a a real hospital, so to speak. I don't know why. I just kind of it looked very cold, didn't it, and not mm. very medical, you know, unbeautiful. I've, I've actually been in a psychiatric, not personally, like because I was bonkers. No, me too. Um, I have yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, but not for that one, purpose. I well, the one that, <laughs> not that it would have mattered. But, you know. <laughs> the one that I went in—it's really famous in Wales—is Denby um, when it was open, and it did look like that. Really, that sort of tiled walls and yeah, yeah. That's really why I said like it. Mm. It's, it kind of occurred to me that that they may, you know, how they would have come to that diagnosis, but you're never quite sure. It's, I suppose, like I said, seems to be a hospital, but it never looked like one to me. Mm. Um, it kind of almost looked a little bit like the Chenard Institute, perhaps a little bit. Yeah, doesn't it, though? I was thinking that. You know. But um, so then a, a doctor comes in and he just leaves the box there, you know, with her kind of thing. And she starts to actually play with it and um, it starts moving and her face, sort of facial expressions is like a bit of wonderment, you know, oh my God, you know what's going on here. And, uh, but then it opens up this huge rift, you know, this in, in the wall, you know, of her room. And they, this is like, again, things that like this creep me out, you know, um, baby's crying and uh it's but it's not just the baby isn't crying like i said it's screaming which is awful you know a, a baby there's nothing worse that for, mm. no sound worse for me than hearing a, a a baby or a child screaming you know um in pain you know or, or anything like that it's particularly being a dad it's sort of fucking horrible but um and then this beast starts to chase her because she walks down the corridor. But and this is, I say, one of the bits that's a little bit hokey. But I think they admit that it was because they hadn't got the budget and everything else. Because you see this kind of like rubber monster, which I haven't got a problem with because I, you know, I haven't got a problem with like that kind of things like that. But it's you can kind of see the person pulling it, pushing it on a yeah, sort of, yeah. a, a little trolley, you know. Well, that, that's the engineer, right? And the engineer is in is in the Hellbound Heart. And from oh, I could be wrong here. The but... monster is that's that's what the monster's called. You mean? Yeah, it, he, he yeah. The monster is the engineer who makes 
Leviathan, which is the other dimension where the Cenobites live. Okay. Um, and from from memory, I seem to remember the engineer being described as like a, a lot of animals squashed together. Mm. Um, so, so I would imagine that like the engineer would look like something like one of the monsters out of the thing. Yeah. Rather than this like snake-eyed... Yeah, like yeah. the monster at the end of the thing, which is bits of everything. You know, mm. it's bits of the sort of like the the huskies, bits of the men, bits of other bits. You know, it's all kind of mashed together, and that's that's incredible. You know, but mm. um, it she starts to run away from it, and then manages to just escape as the wall sort of like closes and whatever. But she, this is where she meets the Cenobites. Was there anything sort of about that scene for you, Ramrod? That what are your thoughts on it? Does it yeah, take anything it's... away from the film, or is it you know? You know, obviously, the engineer, as as he's been like creative for this movie, is what well, he's got like a scorpion's tail and two hands. I love the way he manoeuvres himself down that corridor. Yeah, like drags Kirstie, himself. Kirsty's like walking into the other dimension. It's hell, apparently, isn't it? I still don't think it's hell. I think it's just another dimension. Yeah, and she that thing is there. What and when it's that when it's revealed the lights go on and you go what the fuck is that you you're gonna run from that whatever the fuck you're doing with your day you see that coming out with scorpions point you know and what is it it's the thing that makes Leviathan so is it the thing that makes the Cenobites as well is is that what it is I I'm not quite sure what his what what his intention is but he wants to get his hands on Kirsty with his little rubbery hands um, yeah. <laughs> when they're fighting over the box and stuff like that later on he's he's a lovely lovely bit of effects I think that thing yes yeah. reminds me of Evil Dead too you know when the evil is made flesh at the end and it grabs all the vash oh it's, yeah yeah it's like a huge chompy face that comes through the door it reminds me of that it, it's of its time but I still think it's disturbing because it's really there mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and it's, it's, the, it's, it's the music as well kind of like ramps up you know to it, it almost sounds a little bit sort of aliens Esque, yeah. you know, to to me anyway. But um, yeah. So, and, but this bit again, it creeps me out because it's like you see the rooms being. It's it's like yes, I I agree with you, Ramrod. I'm not sure that it's. I don't believe it's hell. I think no. it is another dimension, and um, that's kind of like explored a bit more obviously in the second film, you know. But it's just the way it looks, you know. In my own imagine imagination, I wouldn't think hell would look like that, you know. But anyway, so but the, there's blood going up into the IV drip, which I think is creepy. But then it explodes and shatters, and um, you get introduced. The, the TV's on, but it's like there's this kind of like those amazing sort of um, uh, what would you call them when there's sort of flowers just kind of sprout. Up. Yeah, they're like mm. the blossoming ro- white rose and all that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And the stuff like that, but it's like that weird thing with all the blood, but then a flower kind of emerging. You know, it's sort of the mixture of the beautiful and the terrifying. You know, and then mm. the, you, this is where you actually get to see the, ten, the Cenobites, and um, the, I have to say that you know they are incredible. You know, and their makeup is still amazing today. And I think we haven't really talked much about Doug Bradley, but Doug Bradley speaks, and his voice is so amazing. You know, and it's no surprise to me that the film did kind of become about him you know the films became about him so to speak you know they explored more that more of that in the second and third film you know it's about well we sent about uh sorry uh pinheads obviously uh you know people like him he's popular so let's kind of like sort of 
trying to draw the story towards more about him. It's that old story, though, isn't it, with um, with horror icons? It's like you can go back as far as the first Dracula film uh, with Christopher Lee, and he's in it for probably ten minutes mm. out of a you know one hour, one and a half hour film, and the same with Hellraiser because we we've gone through the the. The, like the synopsis of the film, and we we haven't really talked about the Cenobites, even though they all. do they do appear right at the very beginning of the film because they're the the it's his hand that puts Frank's face together on the floor. So we see we see Pinhead, but don't really see the others. Only in sort of flashes. This is this part is where we really get to see them. But they're hardly in the film. Like I said, they're they're incidental to the plot of this movie, aren't they? And Clive Barker has said in in an interview years ago, this isn't my film anymore. This is the fans. Mm. The fans own Hellraiser. Mm. And it isn't what I wanted it to become, almost. Mm. Um, He obviously still holds it dear to him because he made the movie. But because of now these things come on screen, you go, holy fuck, they're badass. They'd look good on a T-shirt. They'd look yeah. good in a video game. You know, Nintendo tried to make a fucking game of this, man. You know, remember the wow. NES brought out Friday the 13th, didn't they? Yeah. And Nintendo tried to get the rights to make a Hellraiser game. What the fuck would you have done? Well, do you know the puzzle it's box so... features in Scooby-Doo? Really? Wow. Yeah. In what In what, what in sense? Scooby-Doo, uh, one of the episodes, there's a sheriff. And he's like in the big warehouse uh, digging through stuff. And he goes, and I've got this box. And he picks it up and it is the Lament oh configuration. Yeah. No, I mean, we we can go on to that in the next show, the way it's crossed into like popular mm. culture and that. But this is, this is the moment where you see the Cenobites and you go, whoa. You know, mm. and again, I've got to say, like the cinematography on this. I think the guy that shot this shot, like Nightbreed. Um, I think he had a hand in uh, maybe some older movies as well, maybe Indiana Jones, something like that. But it's got a lot's got to be said for the way that this is shot and the lighting in it. Yeah. And these scenes where the Cenobites turn up, it looks like Tony Scott's done it. Mm. You know, it looks. Yeah, like but it's a, so a, simple as well, simple. isn't it? How effective is a blue light through slats? Yeah, yeah blue light through slats and yeah. practical effects. Yeah. Let's all yeah. shoot it as it is. It's right there. And, when and you where see the dresses? Pinhead, yeah. Oh man, what the fuck? And this is where you got to say, what is Clive Barker's yeah. mind all about? Wow, yeah. the fuck did he come up with this? Because yeah. his original drawings of um of oh, the Hellbrace. Yeah. I've all have never really deviated from the way they practically look more or less like he does on screen, you know. And the and he's had you know several makeup artists, Gary Jake Tunnicliffe being like the last one who's got Pinhead's makeup off to a T. Let's not mention the last film, though. <laughs> uh, do you know what? Again. Honestly, I don't think it's ever looked as good as it did in this one. Or in the, the first one, yeah. No, nah, yeah. no. Nah, yeah. You know, as good as a makeup artist as he is, it lost You a can lot. see more of his face in yeah. this, can't you? Yeah, his yeah. eyes especially. Mm. I, I think as well the other I mean look, Simon Bamford was on an episode of 80's Picture House a long time ago now mm. when they interviewed him and uh, he played Butterball and he explained about sort of you know almost the hellish sort of like process mm. him and Nicholas Vance oh sorry Vince who played the Chatterer mm. and then you got uh, Grace Kirby now I always thought it was Barbie Wilde but she was in the second, second one second one mm. yeah yeah but the, the, the other um, 
the chatterer and butterball don't have any speaking parts. Uh, whereas it's almost like you see they're almost like a family of themselves, aren't they? I mean, that's mm. kind of what they described on this documentary I watched. And but I kind of can see that myself. And I think even one of them, I don't know if it was butterball or the chatterer, was almost going to be like their pet. Um, yeah, it was uh, the chatterer. It yeah. was the family dog. That's it. But yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Pinhead's yeah. like the father of yeah. the, the group, so to speak, the leader. And then you've got the female who's the mom. And then you've got the other two, which possibly like you could say are the kids, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but that's the kind of like the package that they kind of come as. But Well, which yeah. one do you think is the most terrifying? Because for me, Chatterer. it's Chatterer. He's the f- he's fucking nightmarish. Yeah. When he yeah. puts his fingers, his fingers in his mouth. mouth. That is singularly the most horrifying piece of the film for me because the thought of anyone doing that to me would make just freaks the shit out of me. I'm down with that. Because he gets his fingers right in his Right in the back of his neck. And he has no expression on his face other than I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. It's it's a nightmare, that thing. It's a nightmare. You know, and again, just before you go on, sitting there with Zoe, who's never seen this before, like chatterers of makeup, dear God. Yes, incredible. And she's like, Jesus Christ, you know, you've never seen anything like it before or since. Mm. It it is incredible, the makeup, and it still stands up today, you know, and and again it's that you know, the Pinhead's voice, but it's almost that again like the female kind of uh, Cenobite's voice as well. Um there's very calming but threatening at the same time you know and but uh, you know Doug Bradley speaks to Kirsty and she starts begging for her life and but then she happens to mention Frank and she agrees to lead the Cenobites back to get Frank because he escaped from them but this is the, the sort of line that they've used pretty much throughout the films you know I confess I'll be honest with you I've only seen one two and three I've not seen any of the others so I can't comment on whether or not the quality of them dipped but you know from what i've heard anecdotally they're not great they're nowhere near a patch on the sort of first three particularly no. the first one. First two first two yeah we'll say first two sorry yeah, I yeah like sorry. the one with um the one that goes back in time which one's that the, the bloodline the fourth one the fourth one i really like that it's it's it, there's a better movie there's another version of it out there we'll talk about mm. it again but there is a longer version of it out there which is a different mm. movie yeah and of course we, we we have to mention the one that dave is in Oh, oh fuss. Who? The <laughs> elephant in the room. Um, which the is old Dave. Ball bag who's not the in the room. Old, the old ball bag that and I I said to him, Is that why you don't want to do this? That, that I'm doing it instead of you? And he just said, No. I said, Is it is it because you were in Hell Hell De- well no, what's it called? Hell World because you were in Hell World. Well, Dave's in a Hellraiser film. Yeah. Oh who cares? We're talking about Hellraiser yeah. One. Yeah, that's true. It's not and in Hell- Samurai Cop too, so what? He wasn't in a good Herald Hellraiser film, let's <gasps> face it. <laughs> oh, but um, actually, I know Dave's a massive Hellraiser fan, so yeah. it's yeah. But anyway, he's not here, so fuck him. Um, fuck off, but, Dave. Edit that out, mate. No, don't keep it in your twat. But um, Dave's a ball so, bag. <laughs> but yeah, he, this is the line that is used pretty much, like I said, throughout this sort of series, where he, he goes, you know, he. The way he says it and the way the camera sort of like pans onto his face, he's like, we'll tear your soul apart. You really believe it as well, you know. You know, it's like because you've kind of had glimpses of him ripping people apart, you know, with his hooks and everything else. Um, But so Julia and Frank are waiting for Larry now because 
he needs skin. This is the final part of his transformation. And Julia's she's come full circle now. Whereas before she she still gave a shit about um, Larry. She doesn't anymore. She's totally obsessed with uh, Frank. If she wasn't before, she is now, and she doesn't care about Larry. And um, you don't see anything except Larry coming home from work, and then Larry walking down the stairs and then they have sex and it's like the good sex. Do you know what I mean? She's it's like, she's got what she's wanted now. Mm. She's got a man back. I mean, did you think that, that like she, that she doesn't care if, if he dies anymore? Yeah, or, totally. Right? She just, she just, uh, yeah, she doesn't care anymore. She wants Frank now. Yeah. She wants, she wants him inside her. Oh, definitely. And yes. he, and, and yeah, and, and, it happens. And, it does uh, happen. It's, it's odd, that scene, I think, because she goes, Larry, can you come upstairs? I've got something to show you. What You know, you'll, you'll never know because that's the reveal, isn't it? That's the trick they play where you think it's still Larry. Yes. He thinks it's still a dad briefly. What happened when Larry went up those stairs? Mm. He saw skinless Frank. He, you tell me there was no conversation between them. You mm. know, he's his brother. Yeah. It's know. almost like you can imagine that... Kurt, uh, uh, sorry... Um, oh, I was going to say Kirsty. Julia. Julia, yeah, Julia's. It's almost as if you could imagine it playing out as if, like, she would open the door and Frank would be standing there, mm. and, like, obviously Larry would be sort of, what what the hell, you know, and then Kirsty would stand next, uh, Kirsty, Julia would go and stand next to him and then they'd kill him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that would be the final fuck you kind of thing, like, uh, the, this, the, and, and just twist the knife even more. They'd both murder him instead of one murdering him, you know, because yeah, they, they've yeah, both come to that point. you never knew their relationship, Larry and Frank, you never knew what their relationship was. He was quite like, oh, he's in prison probably. Yeah. But was there any love there? You never know that, obviously. Could, did he have a moment where maybe Larry, because he's a soft touch, has gone, Jesus Christ, Frank, what the fuck happened to you? Yeah, and you've been fucking my wife. And he, they probably yeah. said, you know, you can imagine them saying that because they've, they've, both, they've both become twisted fucks now. You know, well, not both. Julia's become as a bit as twisted as, as Frank almost. More twisted than Frank. Yeah. Um, and Is they, it but... twisted, though? You've been very ju- judgmental. Oh, I'd say she's fucked up. She, she hit some fucking poor bastard around the head with a claw hammer. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty fucked up in my book. She's massively twisted. When I say twisted, I don't mean as in mentally twisted, just twisted by lust and desire. Ooh, lust, yeah. yeah. I mean, what the fuck, man? You're going to hit some poor bastard around the head with hammer? Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I, feel, I do feel sorry for, like, Larry's demise, obviously, because that's his end, isn't it? Poor Larry. You never get to see him have his... You know, he doesn't even get to throw a punch at Julius, smack her in the mouth. Maybe he had that moment where he manned up and slapped her across the face. She could have had like a little, fuck, maybe, you know, this isn't Larry. Mm. You know, there's another version of a scene out there somewhere that we never got to see. But ultimately, he's a lamb to a slaughter, isn't he? You know, he's just led led to to be killed. That's it. You know, he's got no fight in him. Um, And I think, like you said, we've all been there in relationships where you've, come to a point where i can't do this anymore you know i've got no no energy left to carry on you know sort of arguing and it just becomes this mundane day-to-day bullshit but um but kirsty then she comes home and sort of julia lets her in and and larry's there but there's he's sitting down isn't he? he's looking into a mirror Mm. but he's he's still it's him obviously it's the actor 
but he doesn't look right because he's kind of messing with his skin, he's manipulating. He still looks a little bit gooey, doesn't he? He's still mm. got that sort of look about and him. And his eyes are a different colour as well. Ah, I've never noticed that. Yeah. Okay. He's got black yeah. eyes. He's got black eyes. Wow. Now. Okay. Mm. But his skin just looks wrong, like you said, as mm. if they've literally just kind of slipped it over him, you know. And um, Kirsty sort of like tells him what's been going on um, with uh, with Frank and Julia. And Larry's sort of like, I think he's very, he, he's great in this scene because he's gone from being, let's say, such a nice guy albeit a little bit boring to this sinister and creepy fucker you know and he's kind of you know it's it, it then you know it sort of says that that line doesn't he like oh come to daddy but come and then Kirsty demands to see you know what Frank, because they said, well, no, don't worry about it. Frank's dead, you know, and uh, but she's like, I want to see his body. I want to see his dead body. She goes to the attic and sees this body with the skin missing. And, you know, it's like a, a husk. And but Julia locks the door and the Cenobites appear at that point, don't they? And Kirsty mm-hmm. still believes that the guy who like Larry is her father. And that person on the floor, the dead body isn't isn't her dad. She knows it isn't him when he, like he said, he says that line, isn't it? And it's so horrible and creepy, you know. It's the way he kind of like the inflection of the word "come," you know. He's mm. sort of like "come to daddy" kind of thing, you know. It's like yeah. it's it's vile, isn't it? You know. Yeah. And she um, sort of like scratches at his face, and uh, Julia grabs her, and um, Frank kind of comes at her with his flick knife, and. He goes to stab her, but then she moves out the way and he stabs Julia instead. Now, I think this is he's, he's betrayed her now. It's like mm. he's got what he wanted from her. There's there's like, you know, he, she was a means to an end for him. And he then ends up draining her, doesn't he? You know, yeah, it's like, straight well, away. He doesn't give a fuck. There's no. no like, oh, my God, I've killed the, or I've stabbed the wrong person. It's almost like, yeah, I'm going to fucking suck you dry now, isn't it? I mean, what do you think, Ramrod? Yeah, I mean that scene where you know he he stabs it. She's 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 mortified, isn't she? She's like, Jesus she can't believe Christ, it, can she? You've yeah. stabbed me. You know, you meant to stab her. You know, that was his, his design was always on Kirsty, wasn't it? And you were just you know my pawn. Um, her fucking face kind of greys out, doesn't it, when he starts mm-hmm. draining her, and uh, you do feel almost a little bit sorry for Judy at that point because yeah. because they're like the awesome twosome aren't they it's like they're gonna fucking do this thing aren't they you know larry's dead the cenobites are like onto kirsty and uh, maybe they're gonna like throw her to the walls and get away with it but at that point where he kills judy it does turn the plot on its head because you go whoa hang on a minute she's been the main like linchpin of this whole thing and she's dead <laughs> you know where, where are we going now it does open it up for that end scene and then the cenobites you know, intervene more now, don't they, and become mm. more focal in the movie. And it yeah. does change now. This is where the film changes now. And it's not about Frank and Julia anymore. No, because he, he even says to her, like, you know, as he's kind of, like, digging the knife in almost even deeper, he's like, sorry, baby, he's nothing personal kind of mm. thing, you know. That. That's fucking grim, yeah. though, isn't it? You know, he's mm. and he shows what a son of a bitch he is. And, um, but then Kirsty's running away and she's in the house and Frank's stalking her. And she hides in one of the rooms. And this is obviously the... She doesn't know this at the time, but this is where they've been storing the dead bodies. Um, And a statue of Jesus falls 
and it's like because it's and that scared the shit out of me <laughs> I knew it was coming <laughs> you know and but then the ultimate sort of like uh, jump scare whatever you know it's because that was bad enough but then when she's hiding behind these kind of like these bits of these bits of furniture and a body drops <laughs> and, and he just like the head falls and maggots fall out of its mouth and i'm not kidding you I, I, I say one of the ultimate jump scares you know it still gets me to this day he's the one in jaws where he's built he's in he goes below sort of under the the boat and oh yeah the head that's <laughs> yeah. fucking horrible it's but awful. this is this is up there i mean what do you think it's it's, it's pretty. It's the way it jars out, bang, like that. Because there's no real jumps in this movie, is there? And you go, no. fuck, you know, because it's where Frank's hunting for it. Yeah. Isn't it? And you just do not want her to get found by him because he's got a flick knife and her dad's skin on and a hard on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know that he's not going to just kill her. He's going to fucking rape her and do all sorts yeah. of horrible shit mm. to her, isn't he? You know? Um, Only if she's lucky. <laughs> <laughs> she loved it. But she, uh, yeah, God, imagine that. Fucking hell, being raped by your dad's brother, but he looks like your dad. Jesus oh, Christ. Did oh, manage, I've got this is, now. Here's one for you, then. When he skinned Larry, because he drains Larry, doesn't he? Mm. Does he drain him? Or well, yeah, he... he's like a husk, isn't he? Like, yeah, so he, he does drain Larry. he got perfect skin on if he's drained him? Is he, is he like, can he just become Larry? No, he's yeah. skinned him. Yes, but he's, he's drained him. Well, maybe he... He skinned him before he drained him. He's wearing it. Has he got skin on his dick then? Well, he must have because he just had sex with Julia. Yeah, but Julia would have taken a raw, bloody penis at this point. Yeah, but he wouldn't be able to do it, would he? No, he would have thought that was quite nice. Unless it was numb. It would have hurt him like fuck that. No skin on the willy. It's the ultimate circumcision, that, isn't it? Oh. Oof. There's a thought. Yeah, he had no skin on his cock. Yeah, I still Who's think he was having that. <laughs> I still think it's pretty grim being shagged by somebody that looks like your dad. Oh, but um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Looks like your dad. My dad is your dad. <laughs> but so she leaves the room and leads him into the attic because you know the Cenobites are there, and um, he basically confesses because they're, they're they're kind of you know they're hiding almost in the shadows and she, he confesses that he killed her father and this is where the Cenobites come out because they've heard his confession and they realise that it is actually Frank um, and he knows what's going to happen in and, and I've got to say that this scene has stayed with me for a very long long time it's it's the the sort of just okay so we'll we'll get into it then he, so Larry. Um, Sorry, Frank sort of realizes that, you know, he's caught now, but he still goes to attack Kirsty and he goes to raise his hand and one of the hooks kind of grabs him to pull his hand back. But then all these fucking hooks, you know, kind of grab onto him, you know, and and the screaming particularly is is awful. And, and it's the way he licks his lips because his face is and his whole body is ripped no, it's it's he's like caught up in the all these hooks, his faces and everything else, and it looks fucking painful as anything. It's like the worst pain ever you can imagine, and and then sort of like what he says, you know, that sort of like the way he licks his lips, and and then he just goes, Jesus wept, kind of thing, you know, and then he starts laughing before his lit his body is literally pulled apart. And what, uh, Ramrod, tell me what you think about this. 
I mean, this is that that moment where you it's it's almost like you can't look at it because it's fa- like the prosthetics are pulling pulling his face apart. But even in that moment, Frank is still, you know, in the in the fucking depths of his deviancy. You know, he doesn't care that this is really happening to him. It was inevitable in the end. He kind of thought it was going to happen. You know, no one escapes us, Pinhead says. And no shit, you're not going to get away from these fuckers. They're interdimensional fucking time-travelling beings. He knew it was coming. He's just gutted that he didn't get to fuck Kirsty before they had him. That's literally <laughs> all I get from it. Yeah. He's, all... he's just like, fuck's sake. He might as well have just gone, ah, fuck's sake, at that moment. Yeah. Uh, you same know. sentiment <laughs> and he does it in front of her because he knows it's going to scare her as well it's like because that's again that kind of person he is because he knows what's going to happen and so he's like kind of almost laughing in her face because she's like shit scared of it all what do you think of it tina i mean it's a pretty effective scene don't you think it's the money shot isn't it yeah the head exploding shot thing uh, it's very effective the makeup on andrew robinson at that bit and i think it's more to do with his eyes than anything for me mm-hmm. uh the fact that his skin is so scre- stretched out and again as you said chris him licking his lips is the other thing as well it's like it's just like oh yuck it's uh yeah it's it's um I th- I actually think that the film should have ended quite soon after that. I do bit. too. I was just thinking yeah. that because I'm, I'm reading my notes now and I'm thinking to myself, this is where the film should have ended yeah. because it's almost yeah. as if, well, okay, so the Cenobites now start chasing after Kirsty, mm. and she prizes the box out of Julia's sort of dead hands. See, now that never never really made any no, sense to me. It, because there's hooks hanging from her yeah, as well, isn't he, there? Julia's already dead and suck dry as well. So why is she then lying on the bed with, with the box in her hands yeah. with, with all those chains attached to her? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so she's running around the house and the Cenobites. It's almost like cause you, even though they're... Um, well, not so much in three because... Um, Pinhead's got his own agenda and he's kind of doing a Frank, you know, he's manipulating people to bring him back sort of like, you know, from the dead or whatever. And so, but it's almost like even though they are horrible, well, not horrible people, but they do horrible things, they still have a sense of um, purpose or direction. And they're not just sort of like, you know, say like Jason or Freddy that go after people indiscriminately mm. killing them. You know, there's almost like they've got a sense of honor. I kind of picked that up from from them a little bit, you know. Um, well, I don't that, know you... that one line that he says is um, when somebody says, I can't remember, I think it might be Kirsty, he says, who are you? And he says, oh, we're um, angels to some, demons to others. Yeah. And and I suppose you can look at the Cenobites in, you know, as out and out baddies, you know, in the in the vein of iconic horror villains. But then, you know, when you really sort of think about it, as you do when you really love a film and analyse it as well, they only ever come when they're called for. They're invited by people to take them to another dimension of pain and pleasure. Mm. They don't, you know, they don't do it of their own volition, do they? They don't go Mm. seeking people. They're always invited. Yeah. And, um... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Really, it's it's uh, 
you could make you could do a podcast just about Cenobites, I think. And maybe argue. that's why that's why Clive Barker's probably said, you know, it ain't my movie anymore yeah. because they they turned them into Candyman. Yes, they? but yeah. then yeah. they're not like you know, they're, they're, like you say, they're incidental to the plot of this mm. fucking movie, and even in the sequel, which we'll come on to mm. again, again. They're not chasing you down fucking corridors with chainsaws, are they? Well, the other thing about Pinhead is that it's obvious that he's like really, really super duper intelligent mm. and really verbose and explains things. And you know, it, it's not like um, he's just you know some sort of faceless, speechless yeah. serial killer. He doesn't want to kill you. He doesn't. know. It, no. it, it's like his job to give you this pain and pleasure. Yeah, you know it's um, he's eloquent, and it's like I said, it's now it doesn't seem sort of fitting. It doesn't fit into the rest of what's happened with the film because oh. sorry, my daughter's just walked in. If you can hear her, but, hello, um, hello, Lucy. Um, but it's. It, oh. <laughs> what did she run? She so she wants to stroke the rabbit. So, but anyway, um, that's not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, so it's all, but it, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the film because now they've kind of like, she made this bargain with them that if she leads them to Frank, that they will kind of take Frank and leave her alone. But why now do they come after her? I don't quite get that. You know, it doesn't make yeah, any sense to me. It becomes like a bit of a chase film, like a bit of a horror, mm. traditional horror chase mm. film, you know. I think they, who, you know, I think Clive probably had a vision and... I've never read the script for Hellraiser, but I would imagine that the end of the film was like, you got to do it like this or we won't release it, or right. we've run out of money. Don't, yeah. don't you feel that that was the case? Packed on. Is yes. Yeah. 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 You bang on there, I think. Because um, the, the ending of the book, again, is different, uh, because it ends with, similarly to the film, but again, you've got to remember that Kirsty is... Rory, who is Larry's um, colleague in work, who really fancies him. So Julie's dead and Larry's... Uh, Rory, who's Larry's dead, and Frank's dead, and the Cenobites um, disappear because she sends them back to hell. But the engineer appears to her mm. and gives her the box and says, someone evil will come for this box, and it's your job now to pass it on to the next person looking right. for the Cenobites, mm. which She's probably... Like, um, sorry, it was like in Demon Knight, isn't it, mm. that, with, with William Sadler? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a great yeah. movie, that is. Yeah, you, yeah. You, it's your job now to make sure this gets passed on to some other mm. sick fuck. Yeah, yeah that's it. It's the, it was the blood in the... Um, the Jesus' blood, Jesus, that's it? it. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, uh, so they're chasing her around the, the house, and she kind of dispatches them one by one by manipulating the box. Have you it's... noticed something about that as well, about the box? I, I don't know if it's just me, but it's um, it's animated, like little bursts of light that come out of it. Yes, yeah. Do you think they're sperm? I thought they were more like uh, bits I of lightning. They... Obviously, do <laughs> bits of lightning. I thought, you know, I think they look like little sperms. Okay, okay. I guess sorry. We all... <laughs> it's it's um, a, a little bit of uh, cheap effects, just throwing a bit of otherworldliness in there. I wouldn't have gone with sperm. I don't think there's any ejaculation no. going on when no, you. No, I think that the shape of them and the way they swim 
I think they look like little sperms. Mm. Clive, can you clear that up for us? I say no, they're not sperms. You sound just like Clive. Uh, That's how he talks these days. Poor Clive. But um, she sends them back and Steve appears out of nowhere. This is her boyfriend. Yeah, we haven't talked about Steve yet. Yeah, do you want to talk about Steve? What a waste of fucking space. (laughs) Hi, my name's Steve. Yeah, he, he he does that trick though, doesn't he? Sort of like yeah, getting a cigarette fag. and yeah. the fag trick. I've done yeah. it with a fake fag back in the day. <laughs> a chocolate fag. Yeah, it's a chocolate <laughs> fag. That was um... a homosexual black man. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the the monster, the engineer appears and um, sort of again starts chasing her and trying to grab a box and sort of drag her into hell you're aware of it is that you know it's going to take her back um she manages to get the box back and we see a photo of, of frank uh, burning which is kind of probably what you would imagine he's doing right now do you know what i mean that's to a certain it's uh, that's i guess the sort of like the the metaphor for that image is that this picture of frank is burning and that's, that's actually happening to his physical or you know his soul whatever I don't know. Did you pick up on that, or was it just mm. me? Yeah, that's interesting. No, I like mm. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, then Kirsty throws the box into the into a fire. She's kind of like they've left the house now, and she's with uh, Steve. And are you going to say no night? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> no night. And so Kirsty. It's late night for her. Yeah. She she throws the box uh, into this bonfire. And there's loads of bonfires. Did you think it's a weird scene? Because, I mean, one bonfire would have been yeah. fair enough. But they've almost done it up to look a bit like hell. Like, it's like there's lots of little fires just sprouting up. Mm. It's yeah, a bit strange. Yeah, wasteland. Yeah. And then you see the creepy dude who went into the pet shop and ate the locusts. Mm. And um, he appears, walks right into the fire and grabs the, the box and then turns into this sort of stop-motion winged winged demon. Cue the wind serpent, he turns I, into I've got to say, I love that bit where he goes, he's totally engulfed in flame. Yeah. And they just don't react to him at all because they've seen all sorts of fucking bullshit an hour before that. And then he turns to that, it's like a skull with horns coming out of its eyes. And, it's, and I think it's like the guardian of the box. This yeah. thing's gone. Right, let's take this. Let's move it on. You've had your five minutes of fun with it. And it, I love that shot of that that winged beast, the way it flies away. It's a shame they didn't have more money to do more with it. But um, I love that bit. Yeah, me too. And I I mean, I love all Harry Howes and stuff like that. I loved Sinbad as a kid and, you know, obviously Jason and the Argonauts. So I've got a real sort of like soft uh, uh, spot for all that sort of stuff. So I don't care that it it looks a bit crap. Do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember The Golden Child? Yes. Remember when Charles Dance turns that thing at the end? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he flies around. It reminds me of that. I love that bit. Yeah, very true. Um, God, I love Charles Dance. Anyway. Good old Charles Dance. uh, And then the final shot is kind of like Kirsty and Steve almost disappearing into the box when the box appears where it started in this, like, you know, hot country and uh, another unsuspecting person victim whatever you want to call them he's actually buying it off this guy and it's that sort of like whole what's your pleasure sir kind of thing what's your pleasure mr carton what's your pleasure now now that's the end of the movie yeah did we need a sequel yeah really 
Yeah. I, I, I guess we can talk more about it when we do Hellbound, but I'm glad that there was because it explored mm. more of what I wanted to know, whereas the third one felt more like... I'm kind of surmising there what we're going to do, talk about next, the you know the next Hellraiser sort of like uh, special we do, but you know it was a step too far the third one for me. Although there's bits of it I like, it's you know the second one I think is should where it should have ended. But mm. that, that's my opinion. So what but, about remakes then? Fuck, do no. you think they should remake Hellraiser right now? Who would you pick to direct it? Did you see CG? Well, this is a no-brainer. It would be practical effects. Who would... Do you think anyone else could play Pinhead besides Doug Bradley? I read, and I was behind it for a long time, that the, the directing and writing team behind French horror masterpiece Inside with Beatrice Dahl. Mm. Have you ever yeah. seen that one, Chris? Uh, what was it called again, sorry? Inside. It's a French horror movie with Beatrice no, Darling in it. That's in that one. Now, this is Up With Martyrs, um, one of those films that I've never seen anything like before or since. It's a mortifyingly horrific horror movie about a woman that wants to get the baby out of the pregnant woman that's stuck in a house on Christmas Eve on her own. And all she's got is a big pair of scissors and she's trying to get into the house. It's horrific. They were selected, apparently, by Clive Barker a couple of years ago to reboot Hellraiser. And I nearly shat a brick when I read that because I thought, wow, they are going to make the most horrific version of this film and nothing happened it fizzled out mm. if they're gonna do it they've got to do it with foreign directors they couldn't have an american filmmaker do it it would be shit it would be shit what about guillermo del toro no it's no. not he's too soft Think yeah so. They would need Cronenberg yeah. to dig out his uh, 80s head and, and and remake it in that sense. That You can't remake this film. But that said, what's going to stop him one day? You know, he's going to need to cash some fucking money in at some point, Clive Barker. And uh, he's probably going to just let him run with it. I'm very disappointed that that French directing team haven't gone ahead with it because uh, they would have been perfect. Perfect. Mm. Nightmare. They would have made a nightmare out of it. But again, it's just going to fucking float around in whatever and good. Let it. Well, what about somebody around. else playing the part of Pinhead? Then how do you, how, what impossible. do you think of that? Impossible. Do you think so? I don't think it is impossible. I think because and the reason I say that is you've only got to look at the Joker. Yeah, but it's Doug Bradley, you know. It's like Robert Englund when you know Jackie O'Harley Harley played Freddy Krueger, and I, I, you know, I'm one of the few people in the world that love that Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. I love it, but. He ain't Freddy. He's mm. another horrible version of... I don't think thing. Doug Bradley would ever consider making another Pinhead film because no. I, I think I think he's probably totally pissed off it's with the whole thing course. by it's, now. It's, yeah. it's course. I think the franchise itself, I know there's talk of a new one maybe being made it now, but it's run its course. Re, you know, do a do a reimagining of the original. Keep it fundamentally to what it was, and let's see. As long as Barker's involved, what a yeah. modern day version, big money version, would look mm. like. I'd be interested to watch it. Like I, you know, any well, remake. I, I'd be interested if it was. I mean, Clive. You know, he's like sixty four now, isn't he? And he's been very poorly as well. Mm -hmm. But I would love him to remake Hellraiser. I, th in in my mind. Clive Barker is the only person who could ever do justice to a yeah. Hellraiser. If he had the money that he needed and maybe stuck to 
the book instead of like you know and, and keep Kirsty as the friend and not the daughter and just you know constant but then you know who who could possibly play because i think somebody could play pinhead but i don't think anybody could be a better no. julia julia or frank <laughs> yeah no. or skinless yeah. frank yeah. yeah yeah i'm always a bit wary of sort of when reboots or remakes are you know for every sort of like dawn of the dead there's a a robocop you know what i mean and, and mm. it's like i'm just I don't know. I'm not. But saying that, there's going to be a reboot of Predator, you know, with Shane Black back involved. That you yeah. Think, oh. Well, what is it? A reboot or a sequel? I mean, yeah. don't don't fucking let me down on this. But Hellraiser, unrepeatable masterpiece of horror. Yeah. Um, you know, it kickstarted a whole new, you know, spin on you know horror icons, and uh, I mean the. It, it, it's magnificent, isn't mm. it? I can't think of so many great words to say about it. And, you know, 30 years after watching it for the first time, it's still one of the most brilliant horror films ever made. Yeah. Well, it's not a perfect film by any no. means, you know, because, like, I, I think Ashley Lawrence was the wrong person to play Kirsty. The, you know, like, the the trampy bloke is a bit like, what what's going on here? But that central story of like a menange trois between Larry, Julia and Frank, which is the core of the film, is just, you just can't beat it. And mm. that's what holds the whole thing together for me. And it's it's almost like a horror soap opera, isn't it, really, yeah. in a way? Yeah. 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 It's it's like a, a, an insight into real life. Yeah. yeah. And yet you've got yeah. this fantastical element to it you know and and everything else but yeah it's unparalleled you know it's it's still as powerful to me as it was like you said when i first watched it um what 25 years ago whenever Mm. it was but um i think it's been amazing talking about it it's Mm. just the time has flown by what we've been talking about two and a half hours or something like that and it's just you know we've spoken for an hour longer than the actual film (laughs) but (laughs) um it's I'm, i'm really looking forward now to actually um watching uh, part two because it's been a few years well probably at yeah. least 10 years since i watched that and uh then we're gonna we're also gonna tack on to that show which i'm gonna find difficult i have to say uh, but we'll do it <laughs> i guess yeah. um hellraiser 3 which i mean that was dave's call um which i assume he, because he doesn't think we're going to talk much about hellraiser 3 but we'll see um mm. but that was it really I, I i don't know if you've got anything else you want to say about hellraiser before we sign off I mean, I just wanted to throw in one little thing that I absolutely love about Hellraiser, and it's in the scene where the engineer, you know, in the tacked-on ending where she sends the Cenobites back to the other dimension, and the engineer and her have a little a little uh, tit-a-tat trying to grab the box, and he's got his little rubbery hands trying to grab it, and she's grabbing it. <laughs> Do you remember what Steve does at that point? Because he's there with her. He's seen the engineer. There's no shock on Steve. The engineer doesn't freak him out at all, does it? No. I mean, seeing that fucker come out the, through the front door, you'd shit your pants and run away. <laughs> Steve's not bothered. Do you know what Steve does? He grabs a milk bottle and he bottles it. <laughs> it always gets me, that bit. Because if it were me, I would have gone, Jesus Christ, and run away. Steve, no. Close upon him, grabbing a milk bottle, empty milk bottle, and he fucking smashes it over the <laughs> head with it. And I always think that's one of the missed bits in Hellraiser. Steve bottles the engine. 
go on, gets... Steve. If he was only there from the beginning. Yeah. He gets Frank on his arse, doesn't Frank, he? Frank, he'd got thrown through the fucking attic window, mate. <laughs> wobbly like zombie. Oh, I think there's an hour show about Steve we could do. Oh, God. No. We could make his, his backstory, <laughs> couldn't we? I just started getting that in. I love that bit. You watch it. Steve Bottle's the engineer. Oh, Anything else you God. want to add, Tina? Sex, death, incest, eroticism. And I think I need to sit on a towel now. Oh, right. Now, there you go. Yeah. At that moment. <laughs> oh, what was that? Oh. <laughs> this is Christopher Young's beautiful soundtrack to Hellraiser. Nice. So thank you very much. That was very much fun. Yes. Well, we'll see you again soon, um, probably towards the end of the month, um, the, this being the 5th of February, what we're recording. So this will be available on, over the weekend, I'd imagine. Um, this won't mean anything to anybody listening in about a, a month's time or a week's time or even a year's time, but still. Um, but thank you for joining us on our journey with Hellraiser. And I hope you'll join us again for part two. Uh, Hellbound and Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. <gasps> Come to Daddy. <laughs> Come to Daddy. Doesn't Can quite... I stroke the rabbits? Don't look at me. <laughs> we'll tear your soul apart. Oh, I love Hellraiser. brings us to the end of Spotlight on Hellraiser. Hopefully it's whetted your appetite for the second one, which of course will be Chris, Tina and Ramrod putting the spotlight onto Hellbound Hellraiser 2. And if all goes to schedule, that should be online before the end of the month, so please keep your subscriptions active however you listen to us. Uh, we do welcome all feedback about all of the shows that we do, and there's a number of ways that you can do that. You can either leave us a rating and review on iTunes, you can leave us one on Stitcher Radio too, or you could email us if you go to the website, which is 60minuteswith.co.uk there's a contact us form on there or you can email us direct which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk you could leave us a message on our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash 60minuteswith or you could tweet us at 60minuteswith and you can even send us a message or, or tag us in a photograph or just plain follow us on Instagram again at 60minuteswith and of course they are all the numerical 60 and not the alphabetical one uh, it's at this point as well, uh, we're putting this online on the 8th of February. On the 11th of February, the website will have been online for one year. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank a few people. I'd like to thank Michael Oglesby, uh, because without him, there would be no website online. So please, if you point your web browsers at michaeloglesby.com and you follow him on Twitter, which is at Michael Oglesby, the links for all of these will, of course, be on the podcast notes on said website. Uh, if you want any website work doing, you know anybody that wants any website work doing, I can heartily recommend Michael. He's always just a message away, helps out all the time, uh, and I would be completely lost without him. So thank you, Michael. And I'd like to thank, of course, my fellow co-hosts, Chris, Tina and Ramrod, for all the content that 
constantly is going on there. We have Chris's retro reviews, which seem to be a regular Monday and Friday thing now. You can start and end your week with one of Chris's retro reviews. We cover all the uh, cinema. Ramrod recently has put some great reviews up when he's been to the cinema. Blu-rays, DVDs, video games, TV shows, music, live events, all the reviews that you need are on 60minuteswith.co.uk. So a huge, huge thank you to Chris, Tina and Ramrod uh, not only for this episode, but for the last uh, the last year of content on the website. And what is it now? 18 months recording these shows. So a big thank you to them. And we move on because uh, we've got some more interviews lined up. We have this spotlight shows. The Married with Children shows, we'll be recording another one of those next week. We're getting into a more of a regular habit with those. That got some fantastic feedback. Uh, and SOS shows and just too many. There's not enough time for the shows that we want to do. So, as always, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening, and we will be back again soon.